I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch the best movies from last year. <laughs> We are back. We are in fact back. We are back. We're, like the dinosaurs. Like the like yeah, this is uh, yeah. <laughs> we love to watch his back a dinosaur story. Great reference. Everyone loves it. One of the best movies of 1993. It's not true. It's a terrible movie. Um Yeah, if a 3-year-old watches it and goes, "Hmm, not for me." Not I'm for pretty me. sure. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but was, we are. That was my reaction. Yeah, I know. Well, actually, like it came out the same year as Jurassic Park. And oh no! It was, a, it, it was another. Well, I saw Jurassic Park seven times in, in theaters, but I was like another Steven Spielberg dinosaur, like because his name was all over it. Produced dinosaur movie. Like I was already, and it was yeah, even a ten year old who loved dinosaurs. Uh, or a nine-year-old, something like that. I don't know. Uh, was not into it. But yeah, where we love to watch for a movie podcast. Typically, we pick a theme and do movies over the course around that month. Uh, or over the course of the month around that theme. Uh, we're doing that. We did it last week. We just wrapped up uh, a Die Hard <laughs> month uh, in a very normal way. Uh, that is that Carrie is a joke Carrie will get when she re-listens to this episode in the future. <laughs> Um, and we're about to do a month that, uh, actually all of us will be participating in, uh, normal that, uh, Peter and I would be participating in it, but Carrie's going to join for our, uh, end of month episode where we're going to be talking about, um, TV, uh, movies that continue the story of a TV show on the big screen. Uh, but we're doing what is our seventh annual, six, six annual. I think we started this the first year. So I think we did it in 20, we did 16. it in 2015. Uh, or 2016 for 2015. So I think this is our, so it'd be a six year. This is, yeah, this is our sixth, uh, best of show. And unlike some podcasts that are like, uh, current and pay attention to releases as they come out and have access to, uh, screeners and, uh, New York and LA specifically, we like to take our time and we like to, you know, process the best movies of a given year we, we're not rushing like so many uh movie critics to get get out a list uh in a, in the year that it would be relevant oh no we sit back we take our time we think about things um and then a couple weeks before we're about to record this episode we try to get in as quickly as possible all the ones that uh we missed from a year ago <laughs> but yeah we 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 do we have a tradition of doing uh, waiting a year. So we're not doing the best movies of 2021, uh, which is the year that just ended. Happy New Year, by the way, you guys. 
Uh, we were New doing Year. the best. Happy New Year. We're doing the best movies of 2020. We've had time to sit. We've had time to think. That's been very easy in a kind of still a quarantine situation. Um, and I think we're ready to to talk about what we liked best uh, and then etch it into stone in our blood. Uh, we're joined for the <laughs> second year by our producer, uh, one of our favorite people on the face of the earth, uh, Carrie Nelson. Carrie. Welcome back to this very speciepi. Thank you so much. I am I am very excited to be here. I am very excited to be on this episode specifically. Yeah, and we uh, one of the advantages of like because we all three of us talk quite a bit. You know, one of the fun things about like I think essentially having a year prep from you doing it last year was that like we've been kind of a lot more uh, communicative of like. Here's some ones that everyone should catch up on. Here, just these are in my milieu that I'm thinking about. Uh, so it's it's been a, a very constant part of our general conversation about like 2020 movies over the last year. Oh, yeah. Which is yeah. a kind of a yeah. nice way of doing it. It's I feel like getting a pulse on what you both had been really excited about helped me think about how I wanted to structure my viewing. And that that was cool. Yeah, and and I, I think that like I've discussed this almost every year, but the one of the other advantages is that we watch some of these movies live in in the, in their, their year of release. Yeah, um, as they're being produced. The yeah, we see the dailies. Um, yeah, yeah. This is the year where we got to see at least some movies in theaters before we weren't allowed to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the thing I like to discuss every year is that sometimes something is like such a crazy experience or there's a lot of hype behind it or everyone's talking about it and it makes that movie feel like the biggest thing in the world. It has to be big on your list and then time passes and you're like, you know, actually, it was just kind of just kind of fine uh, or, you know, it was good, but it wasn't it wasn't actually that earth shattering. This is not like, you know, for the dozens of movies I saw that year, this is not near the top. And I feel like giving it that year actually adds a little bit extra like credence to it where like if some if I watched most of these movies I watched in 2020, but if I watched them in 2020 and they're still here a year later, yeah. a year plus later, um, they must be pretty fucking good because they still are lingering in my memory. Yeah. We talk about this every year, but there is a subset of best of movies because, you know, we're we're all very engaged. And I think the, the contemporary discussion of like, what are the best films of the year? Like, you know, I, I've said before, and I think Peter has a similar tradition because we go so hard at Spooktober that one of the fun things we have when we get out of that like brain fog is to go, you know, by the time we're ready to actually watch movies again, it's usually December. And people are starting to do their best of, of, of that year list. So we, we get a chance to kind of start formulating our own and looking back in the year, but also kind of going going through a lot of movies that we hadn't caught up with and almost do like a, like a little mini marathon of a lot of those uh, best of of lists. So it's it's one thing that we've noticed as as those years go by, even when we go back and look at some of our own lists that we made before we start we started kind of ranking them initially at the end of the year and then like a year later essentially ranking them again, is how many movies that you thought were the best movie of all time that like people forget existed. Like every year there's movies on, you know, critics best film lists on like my initial past of of best film lists. Um this is kind of a, a, a 
uh, classic commentary about the Oscars is how many things get huge accolades, win awards, and then like five years later, everyone's kind of like, what the fuck was – I don't even remember watching that movie. Did I wouldn't see that movie? What happened in that movie? Like yeah. it is – there's a, there's a longevity that allows us to do what we do on this show, or what we try to do, which is less about, I think, what we think are the best movies of the, of the year. But uh, and I know this line uh, is not is is very malleable, and we're not trying to say for you know we're not trying to etch it into the sand or anything like that. But that we kind of think of these more as our as our favorite and our least favorite more than some sort of like codified, uh, you know, Moses from Mount Sinai best movies of the year. Yeah, what are what are the space. yeah what are the ones that we're actually excited to engage with and talk yeah. about and yeah yeah and yeah. the ones I want to watch a long time from now yeah. yeah I mean that's that's a big thing too like when you went some of these things that made my list last year what am I looking going oh fuck I need to rewatch that and like that excitement helps like um help help uh, decide what the list order ends up being but anyways as such we have a ton of stuff to get through so I'm gonna remind everyone how this works. We're going to start with a quick, hey, what did I get to? Even though we had an extra year, we have lives. There's other movies from other years we like watching. Um, we, we we have other hobbies and interests. So we didn't watch every movie that came out in 2020. Uh, so we'll talk about just some notable ones that we kind of still kind wish we would have uh, had a chance to, to get to. Um, we are not doing any weirdo 2020 bullshit Academy stuff. So this is released in the United States, uh, in some capacity between January 1st of, of 2020 and December 31st of 2020. We'll go through some, uh, two special menchies, which are movies that, uh, are on our list somewhere that we just kind of, we, we have a special place in our heart for them or want a chance to discuss them or remind people that they exist that might not be e- either like may not be part of the the conversation or people have forgotten about and you think that's unjust or just movies that you couldn't quite find a place for in your in your top 15 but want to have a chance to talk about this episode we'll do runners up or honorable ani menchies which is our 15 through 11 uh we'll talk we don't want to save our worst for last we want to save our best for last so we're going to talk about the worst movie that we saw, our least favorite, most hated movie in 2020. Uh, and then we're going to do classic count to up style, 10 through 1. Uh, this year, the order is myself, Carrie, and Peter. And let's just get into it. Uh, what am I ashamed I didn't get a chance to see? Here's what's really helpful, knowing that we're doing this episode, is having any part of my list open. Uh, before I say I'm going to start going. I was talking for a while. I had more than enough time to stall for myself. You may have assumed that's what I was doing. Uh, but but actually what's happening right now is that. That's what's happening right at this second. And I realized I had to hold my other one, which is a catch-up list. Okay. So the ones that I'm – and this there's a couple that I'm like extra sad about because – like, they were on my Spooktober list, too, and I didn't get to them. I know a lot of people have a lot of positive uh, positive thoughts on them. Those would be, like, kind of from the horror standpoint. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see Swallow, Baby Teeth, uh, The Platform, or uh, or The Call. All movies that I'll probably end up watching in, in Spooktober futures, because I know they're somewhat well-regarded. Um, but I just had I had a feeling they'd end up somewhere... Somewhere in a middling range for me, like, you know, three and a half to four stars, which is probably not going to uh, make it uh, relevant catch up for this. Uh, but I could be wrong. I could look back and someday later when I'm uh, resorting this, change it. 
Um, I some other movies that I know a lot of people are positive on. I didn't get a chance to see. I don't know if I would have been as positive on it, or I had heard mixed things, which is Cajillionaire, uh, and Tenet, Blow the Man Down, uh, and uh, uh, I'm thinking of ending things. And then the ones like for me personally that I could go, oh, those really could have made my list. I feel like uh, are uh, I only got to one small axe film. Uh, which I'm kind of bummed about and I really have no excuse for <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Uh, I love Steve McQueen and I loved uh, the one that I did see. Uh, and then uh, Emma and Shirley were two movies that I kept almost watching. And then they just were they were, they were a little bit outside of runtime uh, that I wanted to get to in a given night. And I saved it for later. And pretty soon there was no later because I'm recording the episode right now. Uh, so yeah, those are, those are kind of the notable ones for me that I feel like I kind of, uh, if I would have had a whole nother year would have definitely made time for, uh, Carrie, how about yourself? Uh, my biggest one is, uh, Baccarat, um, which I was like really, really trying to get to and I kept putting it off and I regret that. Um, but I will, I will watch it. Um, I'm excited about it. Uh, I also, uh, I watched several of the small axe films, but I didn't finish the whole series. Um, and I really wanted to see the nest. Um, oh, I'm yeah. a huge, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene. Um, and I really wanted to check out the nest cause it's the same director. Uh, and apparently it's like not really rentable. You have to buy it. And I was like, I don't know if this is buy if 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 i'm confident enough that i will love this that i should actually just buy it but i would like to see it if i if it becomes rentable uh yeah i didn't even realize it was from the director of Marthy, uh, martha marcy may marlene which is a movie i really like it was on my list same i feel like those period piece ones end up being like oh i respect that and doesn't end up on my favorite yeah, list, but it was it was on my catch up list. That's the thing you end up having to parse as you start running out of time. I did I did make room for like twenty five new to me movies over the last three months in this bucket, which is not inconsiderable. But I, you know, you kind of get to that point where you're running out of time, and it's like, okay, do I ever love the love love these movies? <laughs> like to the point that I put it on a top ten list? No, but knowing who the director was, maybe I, I would have given it a second look. Yeah, that was that was my biggest reason for wanting to prioritize it because it, the marketing makes it look like very domestic drama kind of thing. But knowing that it's a Sean Durkin movie made me go, "This yeah. is going to get weird." <laughs> so I'm curious about that. Uh, Pierre, what what did you not get a chance to see that you feel a little bad about? Uh, the only ones that I really feel uh, bad like bad about in the sense that like, well, why didn't I do that? Uh, were Kid Detective and Bast of Night. Um, and uh that was because i just uh, just didn't get to them whatever um and then the ones that i don't really feel bad about not getting to uh is not because i'm i'm, I'm sure they would have been incredible masterpieces <laughs> but in the past year and a half my amount of serotonin that i'm willing to sacrifice for depressing movies is just like very it's very minimal i get a little bit a month I get maybe two movies that I know are going to fuck me up once a month. I spent the energy for uh, December on Never, uh, never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. I spent, <laughs> spent that serotonin that I had on that movie. So I wasn't able to get to Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, um, the Small Axe films, Jasper Mall, um, and I'm thinking of ending things because I think all of them would have fucked me up. And every time I was about to watch it, I was like, what if... I didn't hurt myself right now. 
Um, Self-care is and, valid. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of you for making one, healthy choices. Yeah. Here's one thing I would say, too. Like, it's not going to be my most disliked movie. But it is like runner up for thing I would be most interested in talking about how much I disliked it was um, Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. That was honestly, that was one of the catch up I was most going to prioritize until I saw where it ranked on your list. And that made me go, oh, okay, maybe I won't do that. Yeah, it looks really good. I, 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 do you guys know the kind of the hook, the surprise yeah. hook? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not really a documentary. It's like a partial documentary. Yeah, it transitions into a narrative film with real actor, with real people as actors. Well, it's always presented as a documentary. It is literally oh, okay. the Smokers Allowed skit from uh, Nathan for You, like stretched to feature length. I didn't. I, yeah, and it it was uh, it was like one of those things where the whole time I'm watching it, it's like, oh, I would much rather see the real version of this. Totally. Like, yeah. And then uh, the last one that I didn't get to that I do feel bad about because I'm pretty sure it probably would have been in, if not my top 10, like my top 15 is First Cow because um, I love Kelly Reichardt movies. I think you'd like it. You'll you'll get to I, it. I no, I I thought I would like it also last night, and then I got very sleepy in the first fifteen minutes and fell asleep. Oh no! <laughs> Kelly Reichardt makes incredible, incredible movies, but if you watch them when you're already a little sleepy and you're recovering from a cold and your body's just kind of coasting on fumes, like you're gonna fall asleep. They they're very lulling. Yeah, uh, and that that's oh, yeah. a movie that its energy really picks up in the second half. Um, I just think that's a perfect segue to my, my, my special menchies because like, I really struggled with special menchies this year because there is so much in my like sick, we'll say, looking at my list, like 16 to literally like 45 or maybe even 50 that I like, I, I love quite a bit. It was actually like. My my movies, uh, and maybe it was just prioritizing what I was watching or what I wasn't watching, but, like, my, the amount of four-star movies or, like, in that range that I, like, have a lot to say about and liked quite a bit was, like, extraordinarily high. Like, when I look back on this list compared to other lists, like, where my, like, the dividing line between kind of, like, three and a half to four stars and then more middling is, like, way in the bottom. Like, the first two-thirds of my list is all movies that I love uh, uh, quite quite a bit. Like, it's, you don't get down to, like, the last, like, 10 to 12 movies on, on my full list where I really start getting into the kind of middling to dislike. And that's, I again, I don't know if it's just because so many movies didn't come out or there was just a prioritization that I made different this year or so, so many of the stuff that people recommended that really resonated with me. So I, like... First Cow is a really good example. I'm not going to talk about it on Special Menchie, but like it's 22 on my list. I loved it quite a bit. For a while, it was in my 15. But I, uh, Kid Detective is another one that I'm not even going to get a Special Menchie out of. And it was on my 15 up until the final version of, of this list. So like what I call out in Special Menchies, I feel like is, is challenging because there's so much on here that I love. I'm going to pick two movies that um, actually, weirdly enough, rank right next to each other on my list those are 23 and 24 um and obviously again i don't like them as much as the stuff that ranks i guess 16 through 22 which includes stuff like first cow and kid detective and american utopia and stuff like that uh but they are two movies that i feel like uh i don't know if it's because of covid timing 
or just uh, they were somewhat seen as lesser than uh, kind of previous directorial efforts or uh, had had a stain of a long-awaited sequel uh, that, peop- that people just didn't I, – I don't feel like people are talking about them or thinking about them enough that I wish people would. Uh, and those two movies are uh, Weathering With You and uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, which are two movies I loved quite a bit. Uh, your name from the director of Weathering uh, With You. Was I was was if not my number one movie of that of of I think it was twenty sixteen was like number two, uh, and I think number one was Brigsby Bear. So and, and Get Out was in that mix too. So that was a fantastic year. Uh, and so I Weathering with You was one of the last movies that's on theaters pre pandemic, and I was so excited to see it. And at first, it did like you know it's it's not your name, which is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but I ended up buying it and watching it a couple times in the last year and a half. And, uh, you know, it's when a director makes sort of a perfect movie, uh, in some respects, sometimes anything that doesn't match that is going to be a little more forgotten in people's mind. But like, I think that weathering with you is up there with some of the best, uh, animated movies or Japanese animated movies that I've seen in the last 10 years. Um, and it's just incredibly emotionally resonant in a different way about kind of the death of the world and climate uh, and all these other things uh, while also trying to make connections, which maybe like when I watched it also like post pandemic took on more of an emotional resonance uh, than it even did in February of 2020 when I saw it in theaters. Uh, and then Bill and Ted Face the Music is an, another one that I, I caught up late on and it was uh, one of the kind of the first one of the bigger high-profile movies, I feel like, that ended up making its way to... I don't think it ever even got to theaters. Maybe it did in some limited markets, but it was supposed to go to theaters in, in 2020. And I, I actually am not that big of a fan of Bill and Ted's Excellent Venture, but I do love Bogus Journey quite a bit. And I have a lot of uh, affection for Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. And I will tell you this, you know, uh, legacy calls are fucking challenging, especially for for comedies and stuff like that. And I will say that this movie like had me in complete tears by the end. It's very funny. It was so great to see both of them kind of click into kind of click into their characters. It does. It brings back a lot of um, uh, fun, fun characters from, uh, from the other movies as best as best they can. And I also like, it is a movie like, you know, uh, that that can get me pretty good in like the whole world coming together for something like good and positive, which is what like Bill and Ted at their best are all the time. It's just generally good, supportive, loving, positive people. So like it's a movie that hit me, uh, uh, hit me pretty hard, but also like is a movie that I think just naturally gets kind of forgotten because yeah, oh another twenty year later sequel. <laughs> Who or thirty year later sequel? Who needs that? But it is. Uh, it's really really good. Those are my two special mentions. Did either of you were were either of you able to catch uh, either of those? No, but this. I mean, your descriptions of them now have me really curious. No, I really loved your name. Um, I uh, watched it and cried on a plane. Um, and so because I. of that, I, pro- I yeah. put it off for similar reasons that I put off <laughs> weathering with you. So I was like, man, do I want to get fucked up tonight? <laughs> um, but it's, uh, I was going to say, it's, it's a movie I will watch 
absolutely, because that that the, the director is just like insanely talented. So good. Uh, and blending also sort of like this, like it's almost like magical realism. Like it's it's blending like this insane what sounds like a high concept plot, but when you watch like fifteen minutes of it, you instantly understand it in your soul. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty great. And also like I'm not a movie soundtrack guy. I know you are way more than I am, Peter. Uh but like uh the soundtrack to your name has gotten pretty consistent plays for myself and uh the soundtrack to this is made by the same band called Radawips. Uh and it's fucking fantastic too. Nice. Cool. Uh Carrie, what are your 2020 special menchies? My first special menchie is the only film that is not actually ranked on my list because I don't know how to rank it. Um, I was hoping to rewatch it uh, to try to rank it, um, and I thought there was a possibility it could end up in my top 15, and then I did not do that. Uh, but that film is a film you may recall called Cuties, uh, which caused a absolute moral panic when it was released on netflix last year um it is a film about uh adolescent girls uh in a dance troupe and it was uh kind of a QAnon focal point for i think kind of incredibly ridiculous reasons um but i watched it when it came out because i was genuinely curious uh, I thought that it was great and also very challenging and very, you know, it is, there are elements to it that are difficult to watch because there is an element of sexualization to it, not in a way that I think is actually a problem because it's very much a part of the story and commented on, um, but it's not the easiest film to watch. Uh, so I never really knew how to how to rank it or how to talk about it but it stuck with me uh it's a much better film than it's been given credit for because i think it it got kind of uh stuck in this uh culture war talking point area where it was never really given space to just be itself i think a lot of people didn't even bother watching it because of that uh and then it just faded away and it's a shame because it's actually a very good film. Um, there's a lot in there about family dynamics and culture and religion. And uh, it's it's well worth a watch. And I hope that now that the panic over it has died down, there will be time for people to revisit it uh, and actually treat it on its own as... Uh, for for what it is, um, yeah. I mean, the only probably the only movie on our list that was mentioned by Donald Trump. So I think. Oh my god. That's a that's yeah a specific. God, it's interesting that you're saying that their uh, that their uh, their moral panics are not legitimate and not something they continue to fight against and not just weird things to. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I yeah. mean, I, I assume they're still investigating Hunter Biden's laptop. So I, oh, what do I know? Truly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, as I, I, I do recommend it. It's, it's a good film. Um, the other, uh, I know that there is a special uh, tradition of lumping 
two and one. Oh, yeah. And you I'm, gotta lump. I'm, I'm gonna this do it. This is the first it. year I haven't lumped. Yeah. So Carrie, lump away. Uh the, there, <laughs> get your lumps in. There are two movies that for me kind of fall into this category of uh movies that I didn't entirely know what to make of when I was watching them, but have stuck with me in such a strong way that in a year from now, I might regret not putting them in my top 15. Uh, yeah. And those two movies are The Kid Detective and Black Bear. Um, oh. They're both deeply I weird, gotta, I gotta, I gotta very unexpected movies that took me on a journey that I was not expecting them to take me on in a way that I really enjoyed. Also, I would say Adam Brody in The Kid Detective and Aubrey so Plaza good. in Black Bear are two of my favorite performances of the entire year. Um, they're both just absolutely outstanding. And both of those movies are ones that I've been uh, curious to go back to and revisit. Uh, I think that there's a strangeness to both of them that has just been very compelling for me. And uh, I needed some way to acknowledge that. So so that's, that's, yeah. that's that category. I, I'm so glad you mentioned The Kid Detective just because I, that was one of the hardest, like, as I did all this catch up over the last few months and it kind of moved down and moved down. And it's, it was the right place for it. Yeah. But that movie knocked me on my ass. I remember I was kind of live messaging you. Yeah. When I watched it. And I was just like, <laughs> when I got to the, like, the denouncement, I was just like, what is happening? Like, it it, it blew me away. And, I mean, just on its face, like, I, I really like the, what, that Derek comedy movie with uh, Donald Glover, like, mystery team, that kind of premise. Yeah, mystery of, team, yeah. Yeah, the premise of the the kid detective or the kid mystery team that can continues on into adulthood and where uh mystery team is much more in the comedy vein. This is like yeah. so depressing. Uh, but Adam, I agree. Adam Brody just is, is an actor who uh, I never watched like his claim to fame or his early claim to fame in the OC. Oh no. Um, uh, and so like, but I always have enjoyed him on like everything else I've ever seen him on. And this was, Getting to see him as like a starring role was was fantastic. So oh yeah, yeah, that was definitely the Kid Detective was a movie that my husband and I put on like when we were just like tired, had a rough day, thinking like this will yeah. be this will be cute and funny. And then then at the end, it's like, well, that wasn't cute and funny at all. <laughs> but it was so good. Picked. It was so good that who cares? <laughs> no, I know you got picked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I exactly. Thought, I, like, I'm just I'm just tired. I just want to watch a fun Nicolas Cage action movie. <laughs> I got like one of the saddest movies I've ever seen in my life. So yeah, that's that's our new we love to watch. If you get pigged, you get pigged. Means you, you're trying to watch an easy watch and you end up with something much different. Um, Peter, what are your special menchies? My special menchies. I'm ro- I'm tr- I'm trying to roll the dice here a little bit that um one of these is just going to be on Aaron's list higher. Um, so I'm pretty sure, pretty sure VHS is going to be on your list much higher, right? Uh, very high. Uh, so yeah, uh, VHS is not one of my special menchies. I would never put it in such a category. Um, my, uh, other special menchie that I know is, I'm pretty sure is not an Aaron's list is The Wolf House. I haven't even a, seen it. Yeah. Um, it is an in, incredibly inventive form of animation where they essentially just paint images on a wall and tell a story via narration. And they tell this sort of fable that blends into it blends into like this historical 
historical um I, I i can't even really speak to it because i don't know chilean history that well but like this historical historical parable uh, about chilean history it's also about uh cults and uh you know uh, patriarchal abuse um and it becomes this like 75 minute animated journey where you're you just have to give yourself over and surrender um to the madness a little bit um and it's a movie that like i specifically wanted to get in special menchies because i think a lot of people don't know about it and it's just like sitting on shutter um another thing you're gonna notice is that 2020 was a excellent fucking excellent year for horror so i yeah. will unashamedly mm-hmm. have my list be like 60% horror this year. Um, and uh, the other one... Hold on, really quick hot. though. I mean, you had a whole year. I, I, the movie sounds good. And I'm kind of interested to, to check it out. Um, but I mean, with a, with that whole year, you couldn't become an expert on Chilean history? <laughs> uh, you know, with my ADHD, I didn't want to go and take in-person classes, you know. Can I use that as an excuse? Um, I mean, we'll see what the judges but, say. But go on. <laughs> But uh, one of three Lovecraft movies I'll be mentioning tonight, or <laughs> movies I'll be mentioning tonight, uh, is The Empty Man, is my other special menchie. Um, absolutely incredible movie that, like, you have to just accept the story it's telling you at different times, because you're going to have moments of doubt in the filmmaker. And you're going to be like, this movie is fucking stupid. And then five minutes later, he's going to reward you for it. And Stephen Root plays a L. Ron Hubbard figure that's, like, more violent than L. Ron Hubbard. And then he, like, gives this cosmic horror speech that mixes in with transcendentalism and, like, modern meditation shit. And it's insane. Like, the movie is just fucking nuts. And it got buried by the studio because it's so unruly. Because it's kind of like five movies in one. Um, and it, it cut up... It, Cut a bad trailer. Yeah, um, and crit- critics hated it too. When it came, it, it actually came. It was weird that it came out in theaters in October of 2020, and then when it hit HBO, everyone's like, "What the fuck is this?" I will have way more to say on it later. I'm not going to jump in on special menchies to talk about it. But, yeah, that was just yeah. my quick little special yeah. menchie. But I That's wanted great. to highlight two two movies that uh, fall within the horror category that I think people either slept on or, uh, particularly with Empty Man, the mixed reviews they probably were like, "Eh, nah." looks like bye bye man or one of those shitty movies and it's absolutely not uh yeah well i mean it's also it doesn't just look like it three of the wor- or two of the three words are the same <laughs> yeah so it's very and confusing if the, and if the empty man comes for you you better say bye bye you know how sometimes like if you're watching a movie when you get bored it's usually in the middle that can happen with movie titles too so people saw the when they were paying attention tuned out for the middle word and then at the end they were stuck with man again and they're like i assume it's the same movie Wow, there's a real three act structure with them reading <laughs> three words. Yeah, I thought you'd like American that. literacy has no problems. <laughs> um, all right, uh, we're getting into Ani Menchies. We're in uh, there. Yeah. We're in there. I closed the fucking tab. Oh uh, no! What is going? I gotta gotta go find it again. Uh, I was clearly not prepared to be first this year, and I will make it up next year by being last. <laughs> um, my number fifteen. Is so number fifteen. So this, uh, I I forget that. Okay, so my number fifteen is a movie that I gave five stars to. It is a movie I'm going to watch ten more times. It's going to be up there in documentaries that are just end up being comfort food documentaries that aren't necessarily particularly like, you know, I'm not watching a master at work who made this. It's just a topic and a structure of something I love. 
And so it is something that I'm going to rewatch it over and over. So this is a movie that uh, most people that I think would see it would not say it's a five-star movie. That's fine. I accept that. Probably most people wouldn't have it anywhere near their 15. I love everything that it's about, and I love what they're doing, and it made me laugh, and it made me cry, and I wanted to watch it right after again. Uh, that is Spike Jones's The Beastie Boys Story, uh, which uh, Beastie Boys is one of my favorite bands of all time. I, even the book they put out a couple years ago, I ended up reading it and then listening to the audiobook. I am... Uh, they're easily in my top, top five bands. They're like, uh, besides The Clash, who I discovered not in their... Um, uh, in in their like way after they Joe Strummer was you know dead and they were making albums like Beastie Boys was a band that um that I you know I I had fucking license to ill and it was like something that we you hid from your parents I remember like the cool kids had fucking uh you know had had their albums that they were getting from BMG and hiding it from their parents and we'd all go and listen to it like they just were kind of a constant musical factor throughout my entire life and one i've never gotten sick of like a lot of other bands that i like loved in you know in uh in 1992 or whatever and so like this i was actually expecting a talking head documentary and it's not that it's it's them basically doing a live stage show of them telling the story uh, a different story than they told in like their 500 page book but hits some of the same points uh to like a live audience with like clips and a film strip and other little goofy beastie boys and spike jones jokes and yeah i mean again it is not high art it is not uh it is not something that i think would be on most people's list but it is something i'm probably gonna watch 20 more times in my life uh and i'm gonna love it every single time so i felt like number 15 was the perfect place for it uh number 14 is bizarre but i did absolutely love it uh it's called the it's the history of the seattle mariners i don't know if you guys i saw that on your list having heard heard nothing about it and i was so curious to get to this moment when i would hear about what the heck this film is so uh so do you know uh you probably don't know who john boys is he's a if you're on twitter he's a very funny twitter yes follow yes okay you do great yeah um so he works. Uh, he works at uh, Sportsball Nation and has a uh, series called Dorktown where they do video essays. Oh, I haven't cool. seen all of them, but uh, this one came highly recommended. It's a six part. It's, it's two hundred twenty minutes long. Um, he actually has one right now on the Atlanta Falcons that came out this year, which I'm a couple episodes into, uh, or a couple parts into, because they are supposed to be one long documentary that they split up uh, for YouTube reasons, but they're still splitting them up into sixty minute. Uh, chunks that really so though though his whole take on the it, it's it's literally like numbers and specifics and going through like this long thing it's not interviews it's just like grappling with specific points but it kind of tells the, the full history of the Seattle Mariners a team that has never won anything uh, they've had some, a couple good seasons most of their their overall like win lose percentage is terrible and one of the things I really like about John Boys and uh, uh, Dorktown in general is this idea of really kind of getting into like the minutia of sports and telling these interesting dramatic stories like you know it's like the the opening of this movie or it kind of, or it kind of says like hey there's there's no there's no like victory here. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing that we're going to have that's going to be a high point. Like, there's going to be a couple of sad misses, you know, and, 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 but we're just going to dive into how odd, like, the coach that couldn't win this, like, how they had a successful hitter, and it, and, and it's, it's, it's funny, 
but it also like um i i you know since i've had kids the one area of my life that you know, as you kind of look through, like, what don't I have time for anymore? And one of the things that I don't have as much time for, uh, or don't have any time for, for the most part, that I used to, was that, like, I actually used to watch a ton of baseball. I'm a huge Chicago Cubs fan, and I used to watch, uh, not, I'm not, wasn't one of those people that spent all Sunday watching football, but I had my teams, like the 49ers, or the Oregon Ducks, or the Chicago, like, I would make time to watch those games, and I would watch documentaries, and read books, and all the other things, and, you know, that was definitely something that as I looked to um, cut stuff out of my life when I have kids, like a lot of my sports watching or paying attention to has gone out the window because it's not like you wait till they go to bed and you can watch a movie. Like I'm not TVing games to watch. And so and then NFL for completely different reasons related to Ka- Kaepernick and other things. I even stopped watching the Super Bowl. But like I used to really like that stuff. And this was the kind of content that I really like. Like, we're not chasing a, a comeback story or a team of victors, but just how fucking odd and weird and bizarre and sad and, like, that's, that sports teams can sometimes be and that, like, you can have a 50-year history and never fucking win anything, and that's just what you go root for if you live in Seattle. Um, that sounds great, so I, actually. That it, sounds really interesting. It really is. I mean, I don't. I didn't know that much about the Seattle Mariners, like, besides, like, some Ken Griffey Jr. stuff and... You know, from when I, like, was a kid and really into uh, uh, baseball and stuff like that. So, like, it was interesting to really get in their, their history and all the oddness that, that comes in there. So, I, I loved it. Uh, again, kind of like the Beastie Boy story. Something that I could see myself watching, you know, ten more times. Just uh, in the same way that I've already watched stuff like uh, The Last Dance a couple times. Um, and... Um, which I'm just realizing probably counted for 2020 and would be high in my list. <laughs> so, uh, Ani Menchi, not numbered, Last Dance was fantastic, and it probably would have been in my top 10 that I'm just saying out loud now. Number 13, uh, I don't want to steal Peter's thunder because I'm sure he's going to mention it, which is The Beach House, uh, which is the first of a couple movies that we've covered on... Uh, that we've covered on the show, on this show that you're listening to now, which was this amazing Lovecraft uh, pick that we ended up covering for a Lovecraft month that Peter, uh, uh, Spooktober of 2020, was like, fuck, I just watched this movie on Shudder, drop what you're doing, and watch it. And then we immediately covered it on our show because we <laughs> liked it so much. Everything I had to say, extra positive on that movie, you can go listen to the episode, but um, it ranks number 13. Uh, number twelve. Wait, is let me movie... let me uh, interrupt real quick. Yeah. Uh, yes, because uh, I was gonna say is I like to except for like the top three. I like to just to condense time when we're talking about a movie. Absolutely. Just talk about it then. Um, for for Beach House, yes, all all of what Aaron just said is uh, extremely true. Um, it is kind of incredible that we got two great color out of space adaptations in 2020. Uh, and the Beach House is a movie that's incredibly unassuming. A lot of these movies that get dumped on Shudder are, are incredibly, incredibly unassuming. And we discuss uh, in a very spoiler-free way uh, we can, sorry, right now we're spoiler-free but we discuss in a very spoilery way uh, in the actual episode why yeah. it kicks so much ass. Um, and yeah, go listen to the episode. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a good episode. <laughs> Didn't we talk about another movie? In that episode? We combined the beach house with... Black Mountainside, was that what it was? With Black Mountainside, which is a movie that was like interesting to talk about for the Lovecraft month, but is nowhere near as, as, as uh, high quality as Beach House is. 
so number 12 is one that I, I feel like I there's a, a lot of people who thought this movie was fine and I was on the holy shit five star train, but it feels like that's a rarefied train, uh, which is The Lodge, which is the follow up uh, horror movie from uh, the couple that did Goodnight Mommy. Uh, and it, their names are uh, Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz. Uh, and this, like, I, I feel like it got a lot of, like, two and a half, three star ratings. It stars, like, uh, Riley uh, Keough and um, Alicia Silverstone and, uh, and, and stuff like that. And I just, like, I was fucking terrified, like, for most of the movie. It's about, like, this uh, stepmom who, uh, who brings these who get stuck with these kids that don't really like you that much out in this cabin while the biological father goes uh has to leave for work for a couple days and they're out in the cold and stranded and, and pretty soon some odd things start happening and um i it, it definitely like i think a lot of people got caught up on uh the the reveal and i just was so in for all the insanity but that by the time the reveal came i didn't care that it that it uh, probably stretched credulity to some point because I was so into everything that's going out. It is like a, it, it is a, you know, sometimes we talk about whether the movie is like tragic or mean, and it is like a vicious mean movie that like just it's fucking, so mean. It's so mean, and it just knocked <laughs> like just knocked the wind out of me at so many different points, and like left me like staring mouth agape the screen when it was over and like yeah i i loved it it uh again i know uh i feel like i'm not that many people that i've even recommended to like peter and ryan and bill and other spooktober people were as positive as me but i fucking loved it so i yeah i i didn't like the movie very much uh the atmosphere is amazing it's incredible they directed the fuck out of it it's like it's it's pretty scary um i just didn't like it just on a, a the they made very brazen plot decisions that I couldn't ride with. Uh, I will watch everything those directors make. Um, I, I will continue. It, they directed the fuck out of that. Also, uh, based on these first two movies, uh, they probably post a lot on whatever the German version of uh, our child free is. Because <laughs> they, they don't seem to like children very much. Uh, no. They, they seem to have all... I mean... It's kind of like the David Lynch thing where I just think it's so funny that, like, he made that movie. And, you know, he doesn't talk about where his movies come from that much. And then, like, you know, David Lynch does have a child. And then he'd be asked about, like, where did a racer head come from? And he'd be like, well, I was very scared of becoming a father. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> being his kid and being like, wait, like, how scared were you, dad? <laughs> like, you can't, you can't be like, I was working through some issues with fatherhood and then, like, the movie you make is a racer hit. Like, if these people, if these people ever have kids, like, um, I mean, I get it as a father. I would say that I I get the fear of fatherhood that's coming out in a racer head, but again, I don't need to at some point present that to my my children. And be like, hey, when you were born, you freaked the fuck out of me. This is what I made. Look at this. <laughs> it literally made my hair stand on end. Yeah. Jennifer Lynch is a pretty odd duck, though, and I feel like she specifically does get it. <laughs> <laughs> what age do you, do you think? Like, like was he was did she like discover his movies on their own? Like, hey, watch some of your movies. Like a razorhead. That's pretty fucked up. Oh yeah, that's about you. <laughs> I mean, in, in a weird way, it's a tribute to uh, the child. Like, the the, ch yeah. the child was so inspiring to David Lynch that 
You know how I didn't see you for five years and spent all that time with that crazy-haired fella? I was so scared to come home to you. Uh, well, that's sad. Dad's always in the garage playing with chicken parts. <laughs> and then not telling you what he's doing because it's a secret forever. Uh... I'll, number my, my number 11, my last Ani Manchi, is also one that's divisive. It will not show up on your guys' list. Uh, we it, It's weird because like I feel like for an Ani Manchi, it's not worth having a 30-minute debate about it. Like We've already had uh, probably uh, more than that in uh, I Am messages, but I loved Promising Young Woman. The name of this movie is uh, Carrie and Peter Suck. <laughs> yeah, no, promising Very divisive. Sorry, I said women. It's Promising Young Woman. Um, I feel like, uh, Carrie, your review on it on Letterboxd is great. Like, I completely understand the perspective. And, and Peter, you know, I I, I think you, you share Carrie's perspective. Uh, so it's not that I don't. It, it kind of is like a little bit of a, a funny game situation, I think, where I think we're overall in agreement of, like, what the movie's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's incredibly successful at what it's trying to do. And, uh, and it, and it, and, and it works and it's like, it's hitting me in a certain place. And I think that you would say that it is not successful. Is that fair? Well, yeah, I don't know that I would, I don't know if I would say that. I think that when I walked away from it thinking that, um, the director had a very clear vision and she absolutely achieved the vision that she was attempting to. I didn't particularly like that vision. That's sorry. That's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, That that is what I'm trying to say. I think that's where Peter and I align on funny games. uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Like I I actually think that it's a very, for all that I dislike it and I dislike it quite a bit. I think that it's very well directed. And I think that on a technical level, there's a lot to appreciate about it because it's very well realized. It's very intentional and it's very uh, from a very specific mind that we don't see very often. So it makes me curious to see more of what she'll do next. Um, Oh, absolutely. I just, uh, everything it was saying about the topic uh, didn't land for me personally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would love to watch another movie by this director um, I also appreciate there being more women-directed movies that are reacting to rape-revenge movies, because um, the most rape-revenge movies are pretty bad, and uh, while, like, you know, there's a Miss 45, a lot of the ones directed by men are very bad. Yeah. Um, uh, they tend to be directed by men, I should say. Um, I love the idea of the the movie. I was very much jo- uh, jiving with it for, like, half an hour, and then there's a, a moment in the movie where I was like, wait a minute, what are you doing? And at that point, I started the, the house of cards kind of fell apart for me. Um, but yeah, I kind of agree with you, Aaron. Like, the, it is one of the movies that's like, you know, um... The, the, the we we agree we agree it was effective and it did what it just yeah. it didn't work what what they were doing didn't work for you and for yeah me, the director yeah. put on the table we could yeah. agree that that the thing on the table was a um, let's say a cow shit sandwich and you were like mm, cow shit sandwich and I was like yeah it's definitely a cow shit sandwich but I don't want to eat any more of it. And I'm that like, kind of mm. setting up the fingertip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I know. Well, we're gonna have. We, we, I use funny games particularly because we're doing it uh, next month. Yeah, and that is that's. I mean, that is a movie that Peter and I have talked about doing just because we both agree it is doing exactly what it's doing, and he hates it, and I love it. But so. that's unfortunately like a truth about like yeah. modern art. I think. I don't mean like art in the modern day. I mean like modern art, like as yeah. a movement. Like mm-hmm. is that <laughs> that's like kind of a truth? Is like. 
well, this one is clearly about um, people need to get off their cell phones or whatever. And you're like, well, yeah, I can see that. But why did they have to say that? <laughs> like that kind of deal. Yeah. And um, I, so. I really like I, I think the movie really worked for me if I just um, and you know, I could talk, we did talk about it a lot, but uh, I think you know this isn't a whole episode about my eleventh favorite movie <laughs> of of twenty twenty. So I will say, like, I really thought the way that it um, uh, did the revenge story, where no revenge actually takes place, just the implication of revenge, combined with um, the Bo Burnham character's arc. Uh, really, um, really hit me in that kind of banality of evil, um, way that I think a lot of, uh, whether it's like rape revenge or even just kind of like movies that have villains and rape culture, um, don't get to like, you know, uh, revenge is a movie. I think Peter, you and I would agree is a, is actually like one directed by a woman, but, uh, an actual good entry into, into the, the rape revenge, uh, genre. Um, and that is a movie where f- that that it kind of hits at that same thing where there is the 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 mustache twirling villain in it, and then there's like other people that are supporting this like culture in a way, and have a lot more under the surface that really like uh you know because not everyone is a mustache twirling villain, and I thought the depiction of like Bo Burnham's character as someone who. Like the the kind of reveal scene at how he, it's not that he's been play acting, but like how much is under the surface if it ever comes up, I think just is a is a reason that like um, that, you know, the culture as a whole is able to persist and thrive. And I know that that's a statement that you guys would would both agree with, too. But I think the the depiction of it in this movie is like something that you don't get to see uh delved into that deeply in most movies and then you know i i think the 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 ending uh is both like painful and satisfying which is the only way that like a rape revenge ending can really ever be but um so yeah that that is why it's my 11th favorite uh i would love to do a whole episode although i don't know if it would be worth it uh for, for a variety of reasons uh but i i do i i do like it quite a bit carrie what are your ani menchies uh my number 15 ani menchi is minari probably oh, yeah. the biggest film uh of the big oscar movies from last year that i loved and really stuck with me um just a beautiful family story um a beautiful depiction of uh immigration and uh what it is to try to build your american dream and fitting in in a community that you you know do not fit in and and it's it's just such a uh it gets very emotionally intense as it goes on, but it's so much of it is just a very lovely glimpse at like these wonderful people and their and what their lives are. And I found yeah. it to be a very uh, soothing, well done watch um, that I still think about quite a lot. Um, my number fourteen is his house. 
Um, we were talking about how this is a great year for horror. Uh, this was one of my favorite horror movies that I saw. Yeah. Um, so scary, too. So, yeah, very scary. Very scary. Uh, and one that I really... I didn't know... I tend to... I think I've mentioned on this show before... I tend to spoil horror for myself pretty often. I didn't with this one. I knew almost nothing about it going into it uh, and loved it. Uh, just a, a, a great haunted house movie that goes in a very unexpected direction. Uh, every, yeah. <laughs> every, everything about it feels very unexpected. Um, yeah. The way it's shot is incredible. Um I there are certain images from it that have been stuck in my mind since I saw it, and uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, I'm so glad that you. It didn't make my list, but I'm so glad you you uh, mentioned that because it's a movie that slips past people's radar. Because similar to The Night Comes for Us, or you know, other movies that I, I've loved that have been sort of dumped on Netflix, like unless the vibe builds it, it's somewhere sort of like they drop them in like a libertarian like um, like no advertising space where they're like uh oh uh, yeah if the vibes are good then the movie will take off and if the vibes are bad then you know the movie won't take off and it's like movies like his house get forgotten about or mixed in with a bunch of other whatever netflix could license for the cheapest yeah and it's such a lovely movie and the performances are so delicate they're so good um the one moment the the uh, the wife is played by uh Wunmi uh, Mosaku um she is in a show that I have mixed opinion on um Lovecraft Country but she's incredible in it um and she is so heartbreaking in his house oh yeah such a, it is such such a movie like uh it, it accomplishes everything it wants to set out to do and it actually manages to meld the classic haunted house like British British style haunted house movie with a modern statement about refugees oh yeah, yeah. Um, and- and it's like, you know, emotionally affecting and scary, which I think is to, like when we were doing our Spooktober, I mentioned I think I mentioned it as like one of the three or four movies that like legitimately had me scared for oh. all of it. Yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. Oh, yeah. I watched it a weekend where I watched a weekend where Molly was out of town um, and I had trouble falling asleep. Yeah, like that's that is an endorsement for a horror movie, if anything, because like I've seen so many at this point that very few of them can give me that like. Was that just a creaky floorboard in a hundred-year-old house, or am I about to be murdered? Yeah, it's interesting, uh, Peter. You talking about like how it kind of got dumped on Netflix um, because it, it's also a movie that when it when it came out, it was not on my radar at all. And no. when I started hearing about it, it seemed like at least among film people, it developed kind of like a a following. A pretty wide following among people who I don't necessarily turn to for horror recommendations. Like I, I ended up watching it uh, once. I saw like a bunch of horror people I knew liked it, but then I was seeing people who I never really hear talk about horror talking about how much they loved it, and that made me think, okay, this is when I really have to try to seek out. Um, well, it also has that problem a little bit of like even for horror people that I like, like I I learned about it from those best of like best horror movies of 2020 list as I make Spooktober list, and it's like number like nine out of forty, yeah, which may be fair, like based on the other eight, you know, movies that are ahead of it. There, you know, to Peter's point, there were a lot of good horror movies in 2020, but 
you know, I think when you see it like in that that milieu, it's just hard to go like, oh, I need to rush out and watch this immediately because it's like, all right, well, right, add that to the backlog. But yeah, wow, wowed me quite a bit. Yeah, my number thirteen is Emma, uh, which I was not. I, I I was familiar with the source material primarily through Clueless. Um, and I have to say that's honestly a really good way to watch this movie. If you like, if you like Clueless, you will like Emma, um, this particular version of Emma. Uh, it's so funny. It's, uh, I think, I think I've mentioned, I think I mentioned actually last time I was on that I was not really into the witch. Uh, so this was kind of the first time that I was able to like sink into an Anya Taylor-Joy performance and go, oh yeah, I, I, I get, I get the hype. She's incredible. Um, you know, it's, I don't watch a ton of period films of this nature. Uh, but this one, because of the humor of it, because of the, uh, particular character dynamics, it just worked for me so well. Um, and uh, I'm just double checking. Um, the director, Autumn DeWild, uh, I think I, I primarily knew of her as a, she was a photographer and a music video director uh, who collaborated a lot with Jenny Lewis, um, and I, oh, okay. who I love. Um, and I think that this was her first, I think this was her like directorial feature debut. And for a, for a first feature, it is extremely impressive. Um, so yeah, that's, if, if you haven't caught it, I highly recommend it. I have, it's one of two movies I had tickets for that got canceled in the COVID. Oh no. Uh, and then I, but this one I never got a chance to circle back, uh, to, but yeah, I, uh, I love Clueless. We covered it on the show. Mm -hmm. Probably my biggest shame that I didn't get a chance to watch. It's, 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 it's really fun. I recommend it. Um, my number 12, I will be brief on because I know it's going to come up again later, is VHS, uh, a movie that was not at all on my radar until I heard Aaron talk about it. And I thought, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give this a go. And wow, that it went, it goes to places that uh, moved me. I was like, this is, this is going to be like a cute, fun time. And was not expecting to have, like, a strong emotional response to it. But, wow. Yeah. I'm excited for us to get into it more later. Um, yeah, I'm so glad you loved it. Oh, it's great. Uh, and my number 11 was uh, La Llorona. Um, talking about oh, yeah. uh, horror that scares the shit out of you. Um, and this this one, I, I was reading... Uh, people's comments on it later and it looked like a bunch of people who were going into it for like a straight up horror movie didn't love it because it is a slow burn it doesn't have a lot of conventional horror elements to it and when the horror elements come in it, it tends to be in like one final section of the story but that is sort of why it worked as well for me as it did because it was so it was such an unexpected way of telling this particular story and it I, I would argue that everything that happens until it gets very genre-y is still extremely horrific and terrifying. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was one that that really... I, I've seen another film by this director that I, I thought was great uh, last year, uh, Tremors. Um, and this, uh, it, this was a late... 
in the game catch up and I'm so glad I prioritized it because uh it it totally worked for me. Yeah, I have it uh ranked a little higher, so I'll talk about it as well. Um yeah, I, I'm not sure if one of us encouraged you to watch it, but absolutely is like uh, it, it is one of those movies that manages to pull off everything it tries to do. One of the things that struck me most about it this time, because uh, I've now watched it twice, is that the first time I was I was just struck by the how much of a slow burn that this movie operates at, where like the horror is kind of operating on the um, the periphery of their vision because they're just so distracted with like uh, uh, the the immediate political concerns of this this family, this horrific family, um, that uh, they for they uh, you know forget about the horror until the horror comes home. And uh, this time I was thinking about it more, but also I, I was watching it in the context of um, watching Succession. And the fact that the, the movie is like as much about this revenge demon that comes out to haunt this family that committed the, the you know, the, the patriarch of it committed uh, genocide and the rest of them enabled him by sticking by his side. Um, I was very much struck by some of the plot revelations in season two going into season three of Succession. And... Um, the they're not genocide but you know um but that this 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 family and how uh wealth enables uh these 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 power figures these patriarchs to have like a uh, magnetic attraction and it keeps their family close uh and so close to the point that the family doesn't realize they're in a cage where their reputation and their their personal freedom is going to be threatened now because there is a point when you're you it goes from well my dad did that to well, I enabled my dad doing that for 20 years. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. there's yeah. a there's a crossover moment. You know, you're culp- you can no longer deny culpability for, for the horrors um, of the people that you keep around and the yeah. people that you are actively, actively receiving, like, uh, you know, financial and uh, political capital from being near. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good call out the secession parallels are definitely there and yeah that same sort of like toxic like well can't abandon you now so let's dig in further peter and who didn't watch the movie and go i hope trump gets your own it oh a hundred percent who yeah who who watched the movie it wasn't like well yeah trump should get your own it. he did a lot of horrible yeah. shit to, yeah uh, to, to multiple countries worth of hispanic people truly <laughs> peter what are your 2020 Ani Menchies. Um, this year, I decided to mix things up a little bit. You mean last horror year. movies in it? Um, so this year's episode for last year's movies. Okay. Decided to mix things up a little bit. Put some horror movies in there. You know, times are scary. Uh, but my first one is not uh, the Assistant. Sort of a horror movie. Um, the Assistant is a such a delicate and and um, quiet movie that like the cruelty of it can be buried very quickly Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. like the um boss chewing out his subordinates is often handled behind muddled big thick office doors or we're hearing the conversation through a um uh uh, speakerphone kind of you know diluted a little bit like we're not hearing even like the bursts of violence directly we're just seeing the pain and the people receiving them the assistant is like one of those movies that constantly makes like smart choices about how to approach its material smartly because it never ever leans into like yas queen feminism. It's very much about like 
prag the pragmatics of the real world and that serves feminism better revealing like the economic concerns that cause women to either speak up or not speak up the economic pressures that, that that cause women to not speak up or the moral concerns that cause them to try and speak up and then when they hit resistance they're like what the fuck do, do i keep going is it now it's not my fault because i tried to do something um again like we we're just talking about your own, it's not quite the same thing, but sort of um, moral, moral culpability within a system. And uh, the the film is so stunningly adept at finding these little moments that like, I think you don't have to have worked in film in New York and with the first an abusive boss to be able to relate to yeah. Um, yeah. the small and indi- the small indignities that you go through. And uh, especially this is a movie that I imagine resonates more if you uh, are a woman that's worked in, uh, in, in in an environment like that. If you are a uh, any any person of, of any gender orientation who like can get thinks their their boss thinks they can kind of push around or exploit a little bit um, because they're lesser um lesser than them so um it's as much about the toxic nature of capitalism as it is it is about feminism and what it has to say about both of those is is so uh stunningly stunningly brutal uh because it refuses to lean into yeah like yes queen feminism or like um just like uh, the quick rewards of filmmaking this is a movie that literally only can exist in an indie film construct you know, a lot of like as like workers' rights or, you know, um, uh, companies trying to deal with, um, you know, or trying to quote unquote take seriously like harassment, sexual harassment, predation. And, you know, they've kind of structured a, uh, a, a whole department that didn't exist 50 years ago for the most part, like human resources that's like there theoretically to protect the employee in this movie does a really good job of noting like no like just remember who put that in place like it is yep. the people in power who are who are managing human resources and they are there to to protect the the people um the people in power they're not like a fucking like geneva convention separate entity that's like has like unlimited power to do stuff and so like they funneled all of the complaints and the um uh, the toxicity to a department that's there literally just to tell them to either make it so difficult to complain or tell them to shut up and go away. Uh, and there's a the fantastic scene, like the, the most chilling and recognizable scene in this movie is like just a meeting with HR to say a reasonable complaint and concern that just becomes this like, do you realize what you're doing here? Uh, which, yeah, I mean, anyone who's ever tried to complain about their boss uh i i was you know i had a terrible boss once and and went to hr and that's the last time i would do that Uh, that's all i gotta say yeah speaking of matthew mcfadden from um with fadian i think is uh, mcfadian um from uh succession uh wow what a what a fucking centerpiece of a scene yeah truly um and a movie that i'm sure is higher on aaron's list but spontaneous Um, it's a movie that like I watched in, uh, I I watched in sort of like a horror movie context and I don't really think it is a horror movie. Um, it's ultimately just like a strange fable about, um, love, love and getting over, getting over, uh, uh, sorrow. It's, it's ultimately a movie about recovering and mourning. Um, and it's 
hilarious. Uh, it's charming. It makes you love the center couple really, really quickly. They're extremely relatable. I saw myself in both of the characters in a strange way um, when I was uh, 17 or so, let's say. Um, and it, it, in that way, uh, when this this uh, powerful moment hits, it's um, it's a it's a ton of bricks just hitting you right in the head. It's it's uh, powerful. Um, just a, a lovely movie that works greatest in the context of. Do you kind of want to see a movie that like takes teen rom coms and actually does something with them, <laughs> do you, or do you want them to be like um, sort of uh, these? yellow kind of uh um self-loathing uh movies with nothing to say um there's a lot of teen movies that are just like mopey and shitty and don't have anything to say about what it's like to be a teenager and then it took this movie with this like weirdly ridiculous concept that works great uh that almost works as an allegory because you spoiler you never find out any of the reasons why this is happening um and it's uh emotionally impactful in a way that like just killed me yeah, it, it it surprised me uh, how much I enjoyed it. It's it's such a sweet, uh, emotionally affecting story that is very funny, very gross. It just, it has it all. It works on every level. Yeah, so good. Yeah, I'll, I'll have more to say about it later. Yeah, um, the Invisible Man is number thirteen. Um, so there's been there's a thing with uh, genre filmmaking, particularly like let's update. This old a horror movie, uh, and let's make it speak to the modern times. Um, and most of the time, it's terrible. And you're like, well, it's it's weird that I'm more I can more relate to this movie from the 1930s than I can relate to your movie from 2015. Um, uh, but uh, I'm specifically speaking about the Mummy movie. Um, but uh, the Invisible Man is a movie that actually wrangles with uh, 2020 perceptions on um, uh, abuse and relationships and um, it depicts in a sort of, it sort of blows up reality. It does what a good genre does, which it blows up reality to a size that you can actually wrangle with it. Um, so like uh, it, there's a lot of uh, awful questions and victim blaming questions that you get asked why people don't leave abusive relationships. And sometimes genre movie can take questions like that, that like, you know, they're not necessarily fair questions, but they're questions that a lot of people ask. And genre movies can take those questions and blow them up to a level that, like, can actually, I think, change people's minds. Like, the person doesn't need to be as ridiculous as this for the, for the person to be trapped, right? But you can start to understand the small ways in which people take away people's consent and their, their agency. And this movie is entirely about that. And the it's gorgeous to look at. It accomplishes everything it sets out to do. And also, like, if they just remade all the Universal Monster movies, like, with this level of care and dignity, like, sure, we can have we can have our own little, like, uh, whatever they tried to do with the Tom Cruise mummy movie. Um, they can no have that. No one's seen that, Peter. You can't reference that because people know where that movie failed. The movie, the, the movie did make some money. It, did, it, um, it destroyed the MonsterVerse. It started it, and destroyed the MonsterVerse. It made some oh, wait, money. Wait, no, sorry. It was, it was called like a, The Dark Universe. Sorry. See, it that's how bad it destroyed it. just didn't make, like, enough money to justify, uh, whatever, a $150 million budget plus probably another $150 million in marketing. So uh, I have I have The Invisible Man at number 10, so it's close enough that I feel like it's worth talking about. I agree with everything you um, 
you are are saying about it. I, I think it's rare that it... I mean, it's also just an extraordinarily effective horror movie from the person who did Upgrade, which was, I think, one of my favorite movies of uh, a couple a couple years ago as well. Same. I think... Um, I think one of the other reason it it works, like, I don't want to get out to a way better movie, but, like, you understand what it's doing from an allegorical perspective very quickly, or not even an allegorical perspective, where it's putting you in the head of, like, you you both understand um, the distress that the character's in, and also understand why people are not, um, why why people are not believing her. In some ways, it forces an audience to reckon with the parallels to all the other abusive relationships and how, how easy it is to label someone as like jealous or upset at a relationship ending or, you know, quote unquote crazy or something like that. Uh, and this is a, you know, movie where, you know, pretty quickly, I guess maybe not really quickly, but you, 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 I mean, the movie is called the fucking invisible man. So you have to have a sense <laughs> to some extent that she's, you know, she's telling the truth and she's right. And she, she does know this person. And then you are, you are like, faced with the way that everyone is turning her away and not helping her while she gets more and more desperate. So it, it for, for a straight white cis man as myself, it, it does this kind of get out trick. I think also of just taking a genre horror movie and putting you in a perspective that you can immediately uh, understand from a character point of view. Uh, again, I did not need this movie to then. Oh, maybe I should start believing women. But it, it does a really <laughs> good job of, of telling that 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 story through a horror prism uh, lens, uh, and just is kind of uh, amazingly acted and gorgeous on top of that. So yeah, it's it's my number two. It's the other movie that I had a ticket for that got canceled due to a global pandemic. My my God, though, like. Uh, if a, we're talking about movies building their own rep, like if this movie, I mean, obviously it had a huge marketing budget, so it's not the same thing. But if this movie, like in the middle of a pandemic, like could at the beginning of a pandemic, excuse me, could make a good chunk of money, um, yeah, and then immediately become like a must see movie for the culture, um, and like a movie that like my sister who doesn't like horror movies, I was like, can you watch Invisible Man? And she was like, okay, and she liked it. Like, yeah, <laughs> um, my wife liked it quite a bit too. Yeah, she doesn't like horror movies, but I was like, yeah, but specifically, like, you like Elizabeth Moss, and this is, like, a, a, this is, like, a topic, like, you're always reading books about, like, um, abuse and, 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 and stuff like this, and, like, cycles of abuse and, and all that, and, like, oh, in particular, the movie nails the ending, and the ending yeah. does not, it's, it's, um, it's a sort of ending that's very cathartic. Um, Carrie, I don't, you don't like, oh, Carrie, sorry, go, I, I don't think Carrie likes this movie, by the way. Carrie, uh, <laughs> no. No, it, it, it's very low on my list. Um, I, I don't feel a need to like go on about it with people who loved it because like I'm gl- I am glad that it works for people. I, I loved the first fifteen minutes or so. There's an opening. The opening scene I thought was yeah. incredibly well done, and it was priming me to love it. And then very quickly, the choices it makes, um, and and to be entirely honest, like I can't speak very eloquently about it because it pissed me off in such a way that I think I've blocked a lot of it out. <laughs> Fair. Um, so there's a lot that I can't precisely remember, um, but uh, I remember walking away from it thinking that uh, the director had like read a little bit about trauma but like 
didn't really know anything about it. Um, and it felt it, it, it the authenticity of it uh, as someone who uh, I, 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 I do kind of uh, consider myself to be a bit, a bit of a trauma film connoisseur. <laughs> um, I did not think it was successful in that regard. Uh, but I am. Yeah, and to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to be clear, I wasn't like, well, now that we said positive, Carrie thinks we're dumb. <laughs> I just, like, I, 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 wanted, I wasn't trying to say it like that, but I did remember, like, I actually, I, I appreciated your review, and I was like, well, now that we're saying so many positive things, you, you did have a perspective on it that I found uh, interesting and and thoughtful, so I wanted to open up some space well, I mean, to talk about the, it. So I, I opened it down like, oh, well, no, Carrie no. hated it. Oh, no, no, no. I, it, it does kind of fall into a similar... I like promising young women, promising young women more than this, but it falls into a similar boat where both of those movies are ones where I walked away from it thinking like, oh yeah, you know, the, a bunch of people are going to be like with me and thinking that this is trash, and then like tons of women ended up liking both of those movies. So I don't know that I can say that you know, Invisible Man like gets it wrong because clearly it speaks to a lot of people but in terms of mm -hmm. my understanding of trauma and how uh representations of trauma work for me it did not land um but elizabeth moss was great i will i will agree on that point she, she is great peter what are you on uh, at number 12, anything for Jackson. So this was another surprise movie for me. Um, mostly because if you look at the, I've, we've, I've joked about this on the show all the time, but the director, uh, uh, Justin Dyke, I think is how we've come to pronounce his name. D-Y-C-K. Um, he is, uh, largely, he's largely made his, his money and no shame here on like Hallmark Christmas movies and stuff. And so if you look at his filmography, it's incredibly funny because it's just like, Christmas without dad. And then you know dad's going to come back, right? Um, <laughs> Christmas uh, without dad, too. Dad's here. <laughs> Christmas without dad. Christmas, too. Christmas with dad. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, or, like, a tree for Christmas. Like, they're all kind of, like, those kind of uh, movies. And, again, no slate on that. It's a great way to make your, your living. A lot of those sets are um, actually like, sounds like they're pretty fun to work on. Um, and then it's just a, a demonic horror movie right stuck in the middle of that. Uh, I think he's kind of trans transitioning out of that stage of his career. And I mean, yeah, this movie was 19 on my list. I hope he is because this movie is fucking fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's one of those movies that uh, built up cult rep purely on its quality. Shudder acquired it. It is a, I don't want to say too much about it, but it's it's one of those movies that makes me uncomfortable in a way yeah. that like, oh yeah, I, I, I can't quite put a button on. Like, sure, there's like great gore and great little sequences of like something popping out of the shadows. Like the movie has those in its bag of tricks, but there's moments of like uncanniness that like it takes a master horror director or someone with a master grasp of the genre to to pull off. And it's such an announcement. Yeah. Uh, as a as a property, which is also my number eleven, is a similar sort of like just where the fuck did you come from <laughs> kind of movie. Yeah, there's a sequence in this I realized uh, that just like gave me this feeling that like I love from horror movies, which is like oh my god, I just want it to be like over, and not like in a gross way, but just like I'm just experiencing like fear, and then it's it's staying longer than I want. Like it's not a jolt; it's like sitting with it. I've talked about like. 
Uh, there's there's this great moment in the innkeepers that like just stays way past its welcome to the point that I like turned off the movie and you know flipped on the lights for a little breather because it was still going on. And there's there's a moment in this movie that kind of approaches that where like uh, something you're like oh is that bigger than it should be oh it's slowly moving oh that is way bigger than it should be oh I am terrified of this and like. It knows how to use, like, slow audience realization that something is wrong and something's getting worse and something is as worse than you feared while you just are forced to, like, fucking stare at it on a screen that just yeah. masterful. And it has a great sense of humor. Great like, sense of humor. And, and that's, that's actually, like, I think all of that together plus a sense of humor means that this is a director that I, I'm very excited to see what he, what he does next, even if it's just a comedy. Like, whatever whatever he wants to do, this might just be he wants to do something else, and, you know, this is just a sort of tran- easy transition into, you know, quote-unquote more respectable movies. Yeah, even if he um, wants to do uh, Christmas Without Dad 3, Too Many Dads. <laughs> Christmas Without Dad 3, go, go away, Dad. <laughs> 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 a surplus of deaths uh, and christmas without dad for uh post- postcards are fine <laughs> um but uh yeah and then my my last one similar sort of crazy announcement is mortuary collection which i think oh, as yeah. someone who so good pride, prides himself as on loving loving all these uh anthology horror movies i say this is the only movie since creep show that has actually captured creep show energy wow. creep show 2 is like half terrible um the vhs movies are great but um vhs movies are great but they are not doing the same thing Uh, trick-or-treat's doing a different thing too trick-or-treat's doing a a different thing it's it's in the same neighborhood but not quite the same thing the mortuary collection captures that that creep show magic that like any individual moment is simultaneously like funny but also like affecting and uh it's it's just such a crazy announcement the special effects in it are wild uh the director put a lot a lot of work into making sure that the budget was stretched as far as possible there's a great interview with him on um it's either shockwaves or all the colors of the dark um and uh yeah he uh podcast um and yeah he uh he absolutely just pulled this off like every single segment is very different from the other one and and fulfills a completely different sort of like stylistic flourish thematic flourish some are dead serious some are very funny it's just such a fun collection of stories yeah it's 17 on my list i i I feel the same way that you did i just fucking loved it Uh, so good yeah so good all right well we've we've landed to our little pit stop before we uh Give a little more love. And that is our most hated or worst or however you want to frame it. Uh, but what did you watch this year that you fucking did not care for? Um, I actually, like I was telling Peter, I struggled with this a little bit um, because I I feel like a lot of movies, uh, most movies I watched this year, I, I even if I didn't love them or was disappointed by them, like, yeah, I didn't like Sea Fever or Synchronic, but like. I'm not going to talk for a couple of minutes about, like, fuck, fuck Synchronic. Why aren't you as good as the other movies by those people? Like, um, and then there's this, this like, wave of, like, you know, there's a couple of movies that are, like, not for me that I definitely didn't enjoy. But, like, like do I really need to talk about, like, uh, why I didn't like Zombies 2 or, um, or the one and only Ivan? Like, who cares? They're movies that my kids liked, and I watched them because I was there. And uh, I, I don't have a, a axe to grind with them. They're just not necessarily for me. 
Uh, but thankfully, this Spooktober, I watched a movie so batshit insane. A movie I was so looking forward to uh, as a movie for a variety of reasons. The The premise looked great. Like, it's a horror movie with a, with a black lead, black woman lead that I like, uh, who, who I love quite a bit, both as, a, as an actor, but also as a musician. <gasps> oh, I um, think I know what's coming. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the premise itself was like like it had a lot of you know it's pro- I think it's produced by Jordan Peele maybe that's incorrect I don't want to say that in like all, all like uh, all all uh, certain types of horror movies produced by Jordan Peele but like it had that same kind of like oh this is gonna be like the Get Out for 2020 uh, yeah and the movie's Antebellum which is I like it is it it, it got terrible reviews and I tr- I watched it this October. Because I was like, come on, like, is it just one of those things that, like, people, it wasn't that great. Like, there's just so, like, the premise seemed great. The premise is, like, this, like, um, well, I, you can kind of, like, uh, parse from the trailer that, you know, uh, Janelle Monet plays, like, a, a, a slave in pre-Civil War South, but then there's also airplanes flying overhead. So, like, what the fuck is going on? And it, it, the trailer was masterful and scary and terrifying, and I love Janelle Monae, uh, both as an, like I said, as an actor, but also I love her music. Uh, I was hoping there was something salvageable. It was somehow worse uh, than I ever expected. I was sending Peter video clips of the ending <laughs> and laughing hysterically. <laughs> I'm like, you, like, can I please ruin this for you? Because I need to talk about it with someone. Um, I'm going to give a one minute spoiler warning. Please fast forward. Carrie, do you mind if I ruin the end of Antebellum for you? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure I've read the Wikipedia page. Please, t- please go okay. on. Yeah. <laughs> so it it is the village. She's not a slave. She's a writer who got kidnapped. And uh, but of course, everyone on screen knows what's going on. It does that stupid, which is even worse than the village, because at least most of the characters it was hidden from then. It's just one of those things that no one ever says it to anyone at any point, so it's only a twist for an for the audience. Oh God! And it's this group of like you know Trumpies who have captured all of these prominent black people and made them work as slaves somewhere just in fucking. Here's here's the worst part. Like here's the absolute worst part. So it's at a place called Antebellum State Park that has like. That you go in like South Carolina or wherever to see the antebellum plantation south. So it's just so like when she escapes from the house and call, tries to call, st- steals the slave master's fucking cell phone to try to call and can't get a signal. She gets on a horse and emerges bloodied and battered into like a state park. Like, that she's, like, I don't know, a half a mile away. It is, like, it's so incredibly insulting. Mind-numbingly, like, someone didn't go, this is a terrible idea on every level. Like, it's a... Uh, everything else, like, the, the kind of like my problem with The Village, like, taking it mildly seriously and just doing that premise would have been a million times uh, more interesting or having something to say. I was like, I went and looked and I'm like, this had to have been written by a white guy. Um, it is a writer director partner. One of whom is a, is, is a white guy. One of whom is a, is a, is a, a person of color. Uh, but I still was like, what the fuck is this? It is. It's worse than you've heard. It's like <laughs> offensive, embarrassing, like, ugh. Carrie, I'm going to send you the video clip of the last please, 20 please seconds do. of this movie and just be like... It's very funny. You're just going to be like, what? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> it, it, and literally, like, what I'm going to send you, I turned it off mm-hmm. right before. The Literally a second after I turned it off, this antebellum in red letters flashed on the screen. Oh, So you were watching God. the last 20 seconds of this movie. That's horrible. Oh, my God. Fuck this movie. It's so bad. Uh, it's a shame because I remember the trailer being really compelling. And then everything I heard was like, no, don't watch this. So I never did. Yeah. But Who, who wouldn't want to see that? Like, everything about it looked good. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so bad. Uh, Carrie... Well, I try to track down this video to send you. <laughs> <laughs> what was your uh, least liked movie? Uh, my least favorite movie is a film that uh, I don't think very many people saw or heard of called Summerland. Oh. And no, I, I will admit, the reason I was excited to watch this movie is because the promotional images for it uh, first of all, it's a it's a lesbian drama with a female director, and that's a pretty easy sell for me. Um, but the promotional images for this movie featured Gemma Arterton and Gugu Mbatha-Ra like lounging in like 1930s lingerie together on like a, a beautiful lawn. And uh, I will admit that that was enough to make me go, oh, yeah, this will be a fun yeah. time. This, lo- this looks charming and delightful. Um, the film, it's, it's set during World War II. And it's about, the, I, I, I will briefly spoil the entire movie because uh, yeah. no one is going to watch it. And it is hilarious garbage. Um, it's set during World War II. It's about this writer. And she, uh, all of the kids are being sent uh, out to the country uh, because of the the bombs and whatnot. It's in it's set in London, um, and or it's it's set in England. All the all the kids are leaving London to go to the, the British countryside, and she takes in this boy, and she doesn't want to because she doesn't want to be a mom. Uh, she talks all the time about how much she hates kids, uh, and she's so annoyed that this child is here. Uh, but wouldn't you know, the kid wins her over, and all the while you're seeing flashbacks to this lesbian relationship that she had uh, with um, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, uh, like, a decade or so earlier. And it their relationship uh, falls apart because uh, the the girlfriend uh, talks about how much she, she wants to start a family she really wants to be a mother, and and they can't do that. So the relationship has to end. So you find out that like the reason why she's been like crusading against motherhood is because she gets left by her lover over motherhood. Uh, but wait, there's more. Um, you find out that the boy was not randomly sent to this woman. This is. Gugu's kid that she <laughs> that she had with her husband who died in the war and she and she intentionally sent it sent sent her son to Gemma Arterton to raise uh during this time without like saying anything about it um and when there's this reveal where the boy is like looking through all these like old photos and Find and finds the photo of or no 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 she is looking through his stuff and she sees the photo of him and his mom and she puts the whole thing together and then Gugu shows up and is like see 
I told you that you would love being a mom. Now we can be lesbian moms together. And that's how it ends. Wow. <laughs> uh, what was that movie that came out this year? Like, Yikes. 2021. <laughs> With that, like, Sia made, like, music. That, like, it sounds like it sounds like that same vibe. Yeah. Uh, from what I can tell, the director is a straight woman. And I read some interview when I was trying to figure out how the hell this movie got made. Because uh, it was original screenplay written by, written by this director. And she wrote, it, it, she said in some interview that, like, yeah, I wrote this because. When my husband and I were thinking about having kids, we just had like a lot of complex feelings about it. And I thought that it would be really interesting to explore that with a lesbian couple. It's like, but you you chose to explore it with someone who is statedly child free. And the entire purpose of the movie is to like force her into a heteronormative mothering dynamic. It's just yeah, so bonkers. Give it to the Lodge director couple. <laughs> Yes. Make it make them make it into a horror yes. movie and maybe it would be my favorite movie of the year. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think Dave, Here's a baby now. I think yeah. Jennifer Lynch will be less fucked up whenever that that couple's kid ends up being like, "What did you make?" Truly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sounds like you shit. want me to do what? You want me to do what? <laughs> Peter, what did you hate? Uh, yeah, so this is actually in a category that I feel like is a fucking just easy layup. It is Harlem Globetrotters against Washington Generals, and it's the Netflix Christmas movie deal. Like, what you really need to do is get some attractive people or a charming group family and have them go on some misadventures. I need to chuckle a few times, and I need to hear some Christmas songs, maybe one original Christmas song. And at the end of the movie, I'm going to go, that was nice. I had a nice time. Like, it's it's a fucking layup. No one's going to say that it was like a, a shot from the three-point line as the guy was getting harried from, from like four different people because uh, the rest of his team was asleep. You know, something really impressive. Like, this is it's just a nice layup. And uh, they fuck it up so bad with such a budget and so much promise which is christmas chronicles 2 so the first movie is like a charming enough attempt to yeah take i like the, the first one yeah it's char it's charming enough like it's the layup it's like you know you it's it's the you, santa claus but a, like reversed and with a lot of like very engaged kurt russell energy yeah kurt russell's doing great he's doing great he's actually trying He's he's excited. He's he's present. All of that. Um, this one, they decided to take the worst part of the first movie, which was these little minion. They're basically minions, but they're elves, and they make them the centerpiece of the story. Uh -oh. And and most of the movie is just like a strange riff on like Santa Claus two and three. That's the only way I can assume it's being built. Uh, it is dire. Most of the cast seems like not totally present. Uh, it is horrific CGI. And it's just one of those movies that like is so cynical, even though it's intended for children, like it's so cynical and they spent so much money on it. That is my most hated movie of the year because like, like I said, like layups, like, yeah, I think what a Netflix Christmas sequel feels like overly cynical than it already is i can see yeah. why that would be hated i yeah. am fine to be exploited for this one month yeah. of the year please like do just <laughs> i'll watch brooke shields and carrie ellis kiss in a scottish castle that's fine <laughs> okay i don't need a whole lot 
Okay. I like you. I like when you shoot on location like they did. That's great. This one, um, just everything about it is garish and ugly. It's Chris Columbus, who I think just got hurt at some point in the 90s and <laughs> has just decided to take out that. I didn't realize it's pretty Chris terrible. Columbus directed the sequel, too. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Chris Columbus, he was really mad that people tried to take away his holiday, so he decided to set up, direct a movie, Christmas Chronicles 2, to make everybody like him. (laughs) Um, but yes, Christopher Columbus, Chris Columbus. Yeah, both. Whichever one directed Home Alone, or worked on, like, Home Alone, I'm fine, that's the one we're talking about. Um, not the one that has thankfully been dead for four or five hundred years. Um, the but the it, it, yes the the cynicism is what gets me um that like they had a sizable budget they have a great cast i love the idea of kurt russell as a sort of like sexy santa guy to have goldie hawn play mrs claus as well is yeah great. which is which is a great little like uh stinger at the end of the first one well especially because goldie hawn doesn't really like acting anymore and both of them are rich enough that they don't really have to like they mostly just act them whenever like in interviews he talks about it. he's like we don't really have to act anymore so we just yeah. like act when we want to <laughs> um they, they apparently have great habits happy lives together as a couple and so it sounds like it's something where it's like somebody talked somebody into it and then ultimately kurt russell had to talk his wife into doing it and it was just a cameo in the first movie and now it's like a full-blown thing and it's like nice to see them together but both of them seem like lost in their own movie and it's just filled with fucking cgi elves making like baby talk makes me makes me very very mad in a way that like no children's movie should (laughs) Yeah, sounds dire. Uh, I skipped it last year when I was watching a bunch of new-to-me Christmas movies based on your non-recommendation. I think I'll skip it this year, or I did skip it last year, depending yeah, on you how you have to skip it. You'll continue to skip it from all, for will, all Christmases forward. Never stop <laughs> skipping it. Uh, you have young kids. You have young kids. You have to skip it because what if they like it? True. Uh, I don't know. Look, I, I I have enough Christmas movies to watch with them. It's fine. Guys, are you ready to talk about, after two hours, the top ten movies? Hell yes. Let's do it. Invisible Man, uh, and I've talked about it all I need to. So, Carrie, <laughs> what is your number ten? Uh, my number ten is Blow the Man Down, uh, mm. which I like that movie. Yeah, I should have seen that. It is. It is. It is. You've had two of that I'm now regretting that I didn't see. Blow the Man Down is such a great time. I I am a New Englander at heart, and uh, this is such a delicious New England movie. If you've ever if you've ever asked yourself what would it be like if the Cohen brothers made a Cohen brothers type of movie except it's all women and it's in New England that's what this movie is. Uh it's so <laughs> yeah. fun. It, uh Margot Martindale uh just kills it 
she's like the the villain esque character and is just perfect in every single moment. Um, it's a it's a story that deals with uh, assault and violence against women and uh, sex work and things of that nature in a way that feels challenging but not exploitative um, and manages to be fun and uh, the stakes are kept in a reasonable enough place that it never feels it never feels like the people that you care about are going to end up in a totally terrible position Um, so even as it gets pretty tense uh, there's still a lot of hope to it throughout Um, I, I just I think it's a delightful time. I highly recommend it. Awesome. Yeah. I, I still need to catch up with that. I, I, to be honest though, I'm, I'm having trouble moving past the part where I, so you're from, I didn't realize you were from new England. Where, whereabouts in new England are you from? Would you say? I am from uh, Massachusetts. I'm from Boston. Like, but where do you live now though? Oh, well now, now I live in New York. Oh, okay. Like, uh, how how would we know that? Would you like if you wanted to let people know where you were from? Would you say things any differently? What would be some common phrases that you would say? So uh, if I if if I once tell people about where I live right now, I would talk mm-hmm. about um, I'm walking here on the street with my big pizza pie. There we go. That's what I wanted. It's <laughs> a long walk. It's a long walk that might get cut out, but uh, it was worth it for me. Uh, uh, Carrie, I we've talked about this before a little bit. Uh, you being a asshole, uh, the nicest asshole on the planet. Thank you. Um, but uh, the the yes, this 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 uh, sort of riff on the Coen Brothers. I don't even think the director would deny that. Uh, the sort of riff on the Coen Brothers, small town uh, crime drama stuff, uh, but mixed in with the the, the um, ridiculousness of how most criminals actually behave, uh, hasn't really like the Coen Brothers magic chemistry hasn't really been replicated in a way. It's sort of like how everybody tried to replicate Quentin Tarantino. And his sort of vibe, and it, people realized it was kind of a fraught quest. Um, it's kind of fun now that like the the Fargo show fell off a cliff, but the first two seasons were lovely. Yes. Three was okay, and now we've got sort of like, what if this was about a bunch of matriarchs that are not quite bumbling, but um, they 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 sort of they they let their egos get in the way, they get their small petty grievances get in the way. Um, and it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's such a fun movie. Yeah. It was one of those movies that, like, when it was over, I was just vibing, like, and smiling, even though it's, like, a fairly depressing movie. The, 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 in, yeah, the, the, just so the fun. fact that it's an entire small town that is basically run by old women is just such a delightful concept. <sighs> and it starts off, you think it's just going to be about uh, men and, uh, the abuse that they can drop on women and then the movie very quickly yeah. just makes men into these like <laughs> these like dumb like sidebars and they're like go watch the pats honey the men the men factor <laughs> into the story almost not at all and there is one character who you think is going to sort of be a love interest and then it delightfully does not go in that direction in any way and you can kind of see the character the whole time like hoping it's going to go in that direction and the fact that it never does is perfect yeah um it's just a it's a fun like you know sunday night kind of movie totally um 
fully satisfying. My number 10 is Dick Johnson is Dead. Yes. Good movie. Sort of a, it's, I mean, it's, it's a documentary fully, but it's sort of like a hybrid between a documentary and a fiction film because it's about the filmmaker is trying to, her, her father is starting to get up in years. He had a health scare. They're, they're, she's trying to sort of deal with directly the um, fears that she has about losing her father. Um, and without saying too much about it, she decides to uh, use him as an actor to stage a bunch of um, fake deaths because she has all these ways she imagines him dying. And then she also decides to take this opportunity to expand it beyond that concept. That's admittedly very funny to um, what was your, what were your memories like uh, growing up? How do you picture heaven? Like just these amazing sequences of um, visual inventiveness on a budget, but with this incredibly charming father figure who just loves his, his daughter and his grandkids so much that he's willing to do anything, anything for her um and she's willing to do anything for him and it's all it's it's ultimately like the story about grieving before you have to grieve um which is uh sort of the it's sort of the story of um a very different movie but the farewell from previous year yes um which i just got to um and uh it's sort of a similar deal where it's like very funny in how it's approaching the concept of death because movies don't talk about death this way yeah, uh, I, I saw it was in the twenties on my list. I, I liked it quite a bit as well. Um, I, I will say that uh, when I first heard it was a documentary about Christian Johnson, uh, uh. father who was close to dead, I thought it was the Third Rock from the Sun actress. I'm like, of oh, course, interesting. She made a documentary. I, I had such a thing for her when she was on Third Rock for a Sun. It's a shame she's not like in more stuff now. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a shame that her dad isn't close to the end, and she's. <laughs> Make a documentary about it. <laughs> number nine, Aaron. Number nine. Number nine is uh, a movie, uh, and it's kind of, if you think about it, it's a western, and it is Backaroo, uh, which is yeah, one of the just I, I love these kind of like horror genre things. And um, Peter, a movie that you and I both liked quite a bit, uh, uh, Let the Corpses Tan, like that kind of horror western. Fuck, why am I forgetting his name? Um, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, director. Uh, Peckinpah. Oh, Peckinpah. Peckinpah. Got it. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Sam Peckinpah inspired like uh, uh, horror westerns is just like it's great that we've actually had a couple. It's it's such a very specific uh, vibe. And in a year, Peter, that like uh, just or, or in 2021, you and I did the whole Spaghetti Western month where we didn't just watch uh, the movies that we had planned to watch, but started really expanding out. You know, I love I love the idea of uh, those which have a lot of horrific uh, incident and horrific imagery trying to just go a little more straight into the horror path. And this this fulfills that. It has a whole most dangerous game thing, which Peter and I did a whole month on back in 2017, that there's so, like that concept as a movie is such a great structure for a movie to work around. And then it also like this movie also succeeds by just having a lot to say about colonialism and our exploitation of like, uh, you know, uh, Central American resources and stuff like that, and it has fucking Udo Kier being uh fucking Udo Kier. So this this movie had everything, and it was um, um you know, one of the things I talk about sometimes that I'm not going to get into in in great detail, but like it's kind of like when you start a new book or you start a new movie, you have this like initial barrier of entry that like as you try to suss out what's going on, 
sometimes even movies that, and books that you end up loving, I always feel like there's an initial like resistance that your brain has to, to ingesting something new, or at least that's an experience that I have a lot where it's like, okay, I need to get my head wrapped around it. And Bakru is a really good example with where like, I'd never even had that initial, like, what is all this now going on? Like I was just into it from the beginning and uh, for a longer movie or at least over two hours, which I count as a very long movie. Um, uh, yeah, it just it stayed that way as it went through all of its uh, machinations and twists and turns. So, Bakaroo is amazing. It's my number nine movie of yeah. 2020. It's much higher on my list, but I'm just going to talk about it now. Um, yeah, it's it's a movie about... Uh, it's a most dangerous gay movie about colonialism. Um, and if you think that that means that it's just going to be straight-up tragedy all the way through, uh, you have no idea how, many, how much teeth this movie has. Um, the movie has, has fucking bite... And there's times where you're going to fist pump. There's times where you're, you're going to be pissed off. Like, it, it just kind of does everything uh, that you want it to do out of, out of out of a genre film. You get Udo Kier being an absolutely disgusting, like, just just blood, blood-hungry blood villain. Um, one of his best performances in years. I'm very excited to check out. He uh, just made a movie um, this year about, um, uh, like, a gay hairdresser, I guess. Um, oh yeah! Like oh yeah! Like a, a that movie. sounded. Yeah, Brandon. Le, Le, I think Brandon Leday has been talking about that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited to to see that. But yeah, Udo Kier can do whatever he wants. Um, but yeah, Becquerel uh, mostly excites me because it is a movie that is um talking about colonialism in such a present way, uh, in in, in such a direct way that uh, I need more movies to avoid. I just uh, it's it's we're. We're, we're beyond subtlety. Just, just, just say say what you mean and then say it with a fuck you at the end. Like, yeah. I, and I love that this movie just has this fuck you energy from like the beginning to the end. Um, and while it's doing that, it's building this like lovely portrait of this town. Um, it's not building a set of victims. It's building a life, um, a set of lives. Uh, yeah, agreed. Uh, Carrie. My, my, so last year I talked about how bummed I was that I slept on so many documentaries. This year, my, <laughs> this year, my top 10 has four documentaries and somehow I managed to slot them all right in a row. So <laughs> this begins the documentary portion of my list. Uh, and number nine is time. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Good, great one. Uh, this is, this is a film about a woman, uh, whose uh, husband is in prison and she is documenting it, it there's a ton of archival material uh, I am an archive nerd and it she kept this woman kept uh, basically a video diary of her life raising her kids and trying to get her husband out of prison um, and the way the film is edited, uh, you know, time, the title kind of representing um, the the liminality of the past and the present and where she is now and what happens on their journey and cutting between, when, you know, before he got arrested and uh, everything that happened since. The, the editing is incredible. Uh, the way that it weaves all of these different parts of their lives together um it is a technically masterful film um it is obviously a very intense watch with a lot of intense material but uh i can't recommend it highly enough it's just 
absolutely beautiful filmmaking. One that yeah. at the at the time that it came out was not really on my radar. And then I started seeing it at the top of a bunch of best of lists of the year. I was like, how have I how is there a documentary, the one of the best of the year that I just haven't even heard about? And I so I watched it as soon as I could and it's yeah, it I yeah. recommend it. Yeah, it's so good. It's in the it's in the I think like twenty one or twenty two on my list, but it is it's it's fantastic and and does that like great job of again you know it's not like you needed this movie to tell you that the our our prison system is completely bullshit, but it is a real life uh you know incident of like who does any of this serve yeah and and again it kind of has like that that terrible like brazil bureaucracy feeling where essentially no one no no one really as you like go through the time of all of her efforts to get her husband out of jail no one really um thinks it serves anyone and yet it's still like impossible to change anything just because of the way the system is set up to not change anything uh, yeah. Even for even 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 not institutional change, but just change for one person. Peter, you're number nine. La Llorona. Yes. Aaron, you're number eight. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number eight, after a reasonable amount of time between our last entry. It's a joke just for the three of us. Is The Empty Man, uh, which was, uh, Peter, you mentioned it a little bit in your is. Uh, but yeah, a movie I could not have ignored harder, thinking it was probably, if not the Bye Bye Man, like I was able to tell the difference between different man-related horror movies, uh, but it had like the same Rotten Tomatoes score, around like 4 to 6% or whatever gar- terrible it was. Uh, so yeah, I ignored it like every other person on the planet. And I, Peter, I think it was you who was like, Aaron, holy shit, this is like a Lovecraftian thing it's so bizarre and yeah i uh, i watched it uh, sort of a bait and switch definitely a bait and switch i mean i think you mentioned it so i'm repeating but yeah the first 20 minutes is like its own like you know five star five star short uh film uh and yeah i was in it from the beginning how could you not with that opening and i loved all the different places that it went i loved uh you you called out uh, uh the scientology cult leader uh, played by Stephen Root, who just like the whole scene gave me just chills. Like performed well, well, well written. Uh, I'm glad so many people found this on uh, HBO Max. Like after it finally came out to streaming a year later, and people were like, "Holy shit!" Like everyone should go watch this movie. How did we all miss this uh, last year? But I was blown away. And you know, anytime it's a two and a half hour movie, <laughs> um, that I'm like, oh, I could watch that again right when it's over. It usually means it's it's something special, but. Uh, yeah, one of the higher placed horror movies on on my list uh, this year, and I just just fucking loved it. Like it's so it's so goddamn good. Yeah, this was a good year for cosmic horror. Yeah, um, but there are there are multiple movies in this year that I don't think got credit for um, being cosmic horror. Uh, and my number eight is The Beach House, um, which is essentially a sort of a stealth color out of space riff. Um, and the, we covered it on the show, uh, for a, uh, Lovecraft month not too long ago. So it must've been early 2020. Um, and, uh, yeah, fantastic, fantastic horror movie. Uh, the, the, uh, ability for this movie to get under your skin in ways that like, I don't think, um, 
are really traditional to uh lovecraft movies like it's it's the, the sort of body horror feels very like anatomical and not exaggerated at times um is what really attracted me to it and the lead character i really like i really like the lead character and her attempt to try and escape something that is inescapable yeah she was uh, great she was a, yeah. uh i think when we did the episode we're like is she gonna be in more things because she was fantastic She's a very, like, relatable sort of quality. Um, She's a very sort of uh, down-to-earth approach to her line readings. And, like, sometimes they're kind of mumbled. Sometimes they're very very much expressed. And, like, yeah. Very, very good screen presence, which uh, I think, you know, sometimes you watch these indie indie horror movies and you're like, well, I'm really glad the director had a good sense of the scene because no one Yeah, one, the once they did. get actors that know how – you're 100% – I think we called that out in the episode and we actually compared it well to Black Mountain Side where I think we agreed like the actors in Black Mountain Side are all like almost uniformly terrible. And it's it's hard to be like too hard at them because, yeah, it's a you know $50,000 budgeted cosmic horror. Some guy got his friends together. And so when you see that from something like The Beach House where the acting is on par with like, you know – uh studio horror movies and you know professional actors that you know their names it's always that much more uh impressive absolutely absolutely uh carrie yes what you got number eight my number eight is a film that we mentioned a bit earlier it is also the second of my four film doc block and it is dick johnson is dead um i I love a good personal doc, um, good personal stories. This one has stuck with me a lot. I mean, there was a lot of hype and uh, a lot of immediate love of it when it first came out. And I liked it a lot on first watch, but I've watched it at least one or two times since then. And it has stuck with me a lot over the past year in just how carefully it balances the tone between these very funny moments these very absurdist moments and like the genuine emotion and horror and sadness about what is happening um it never feels disrespectful uh in talking about the struggles that this man is experiencing as he's aging it's uh just a really beautiful film i love i love documentaries about family um this one is really special yeah yeah i I I had it at number 10 and it's one of those movies where um (laughs) you're watching it and very often the emotional revelations will like hit you in very surprising ways because it's such a funny movie so like (laughs) <laughs> for most for most of it without being without you know giving away too much of the the game for much of it you're like this guy seems pretty comfortable with retiring and getting closer to death and a lot of his failing health issues like he seems pretty comfortable with you know how, how much of it he understands um and it's like feels like it's more of like a catharsis for the director and then at some point like that gets stickier and messier in the way things in life always do yeah uh, and I, I yeah it's just a just a lovely movie it's also like uh you know it's as as a dad myself as a noted dad <laughs> <laughs> um you know there's a lot of moments like that where he is where dick johnson's talking to the camera about like uh like you know where he's selling his home at the beginning to be to be closer to to Kristen his daughter and she, and she was like 
looking at everything at the at the house and goes, "Man, I'm gonna miss this place." And he goes, "Yeah, I am too." But you know, uh, but uh, between between being closer to my daughter and keeping the house, it's not really a choice at all. And like those are the kind of moments that, like, as someone who like aspires to be. Um, to, you know, to be a uh, good dad today, tomorrow, uh, 40 years from now and stuff like that. Like it's, it's nice to see those, those like, um, that, that, you know, affection and love for, for his kid carrying over the decades and just being that like expressed to, to her, um, in a way that I'm sure just feel, you know, it's like, that's, that's, that's what everyone wants in their parental relationships. And like, oh, yeah. I, and so, and so, yeah, like just seeing what a, what a great father that he is and was, um, also is like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very pro seeing good dad movies. Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm pro seeing bad mom Christmases, <laughs> but then, but then pro good dad movies. Also in terms of the family dynamics, I just want to give a quick shout out to, how gracefully this film just drops in the the fact that uh Kristen Johnson uh co-parents oh, yeah. with 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 filmmaker Ira Sachs and his husband and they do like family breakfast together. I'm <laughs> like, they, I, they want have, have a, like no, I, I want I, a movie just next to each other. I was like, I know I about this. I paused the movie and ran to Wikipedia and I'm like, wait, what? What is going on? Like, because I'm, I, I wasn't quite sure if I what I missed. Uh, and then it's like, oh no, yeah, they, they just like they met at a party or something and became friends and said we should have uh, babies together. And then they live next door to each other and co-parent that way. I like, love that. I love so much, yeah. and I love that it's just like. It's just like a non-event in the movie. They're like, we just have to, we just need you to know that this is a thing that's also happening while Dick is moving in with everybody. Yeah. It's so delightful. Yeah. It's great. It's something that's like, so, it's it's like, the character, all the characters are so relatable. Like, you know, they're, they're a little bit more eccentric than your real life characters. And then all of a sudden that drops in. I'm like, (laughs) oh, Everything here is a little bit more bizarre yes. than, than you, you anticipated, but in a wholesome way, in a way where you're like, yeah. oh, I guess this just works because I'm seeing the evidence of You've this seen working. The evidence of, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, my number seven, which uh, is, is another Lovecraftian movie, uh, which is Color Out of Space, a movie that we also covered uh, on the show uh, last year in 2021. Uh, I... Here's my thing. I we talked about the, how much we like this movie for about three hours, and then after that episode, Richard Stanley, we found out is a huge piece of shit, and and even, and thankfully will not be working with SpectraVision or making movies anymore. So I think uh, I think I'm going to leave it at that. I don't know. Uh, it feels like I said what I had to say um, before a lot of the other things. Like it, it's it's a fantastic horror movie. Uh, it features just amazing performances. It's everything I want from a Lovecraft adaptation. It just sucks that uh, it sucks for the people that he harmed. That the person who who made it is a piece of garbage. So yeah. um, I don't have anything else to say. I guess on that one. 
that is my that is ranked way higher but i'll just discuss it now um yeah i i I agree i think we did a really nice job of that episode with the information we had at the time yeah it is of course always regrettable when you find out someone is a piece of shit after you praise their movie to high heaven but um a point that we're we're still wrestling with on the show and we'll continue to wrestle with forever is that like uh auteur auteur theory is kind of bullshit and um a movie is made up of thousands of decisions by an entire staff of very talented people and producers yes. and uh, actors in the yeah. scene and, and the freedoms that the director allows for those people um, to make or people rebelling against the director and making decisions. Yeah. And then, and then it, you know, just ends up in the edit. Um, I don't feel totally comfortable. I was going to drop it from my list momentarily. And then I don't feel totally comfortable um, taking it off considering and that the movie is the work of the movie is the is is the work of uh a horrific bad person director, but also hundreds of people that I have no reason to throw their work away um just for that and this isn't quite a woody allen situation where he's like on screen he wrote the thing, his yeah. face is everywhere like uh Richard Stanley's personality is imprinted all over the movie, but so are the personalities of of many many other people that worked very very hard and i will I will return to this movie. I need more time, I think. Um, and I, 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 I also own this movie. I bought yeah. it before before I found out any of this. It's possible it's just... for two things to be true at once, where yeah. someone yes. can be a monster and also someone can make really good art that means something yeah. to you. Yes. And both yes. of these things can exist together. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and making... Uh, I mean, we've a, done five Mel Gibson movies on the show, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And we've we've covered our second episode on the show was Repulsion, which we talked about. We knew Roman Polanski's history at that point, but we talked about how fascinating it is that he made a feminist tome, despite the fact that he as a person is is horrific in his performed acts that clearly violate the consent of women. Um, But this is a this is a this is a movie that I I, yeah I'd rather just all of us three talk about it a little bit, and then I could just when we get to that number, I'll just say the title and we move on. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah, I I think. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with both of you. Like, it's it's not, it's never, I mean, I, I own Woody Allen movies too, right? Like, yep. uh, before, and and Carrie is, has really tried to pressure us to have a Woody <laughs> Allen month, almost aggressively so, I would say. Which um, I'm now, which, I'm now giving up because of a conversation yesterday where, <laughs> where I, where I floated another movie that I want us to do an episode on. And Peter said, I will do that if you never bring up doing a Woody Allen month ever again. <laughs> that doesn't mean we'll never do a Woody Allen movie. I think if I spent a month a whole in month? Woody Allen headspace, I would. Yeah, I'd but how do, you, how do you, how do you fit it in another theme? Like, is it just other movies by people that you, like we do Rosemary's baby and, and <laughs> love and death no no we, you could do you could do one of his movies in the like you know let's say we don't wrap up all the albert brooks movies during the albert brooks month we could do a month of like um movies where the writer director is a comedian person and they you cannot separate that personality from the rest of the film like yeah. you know like a comedies that are clearly self, self uh semi-autobiographical like radio days versus like it's like another albert brooks movie like we could we could form it into a month at some point i'm not totally against that that idea 
spending I'm, a whole I'm month fine on with it when, me, when he dies. When he dies, we can do it. That's my that's my take. Yes. I don't know. Um, I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, like that's my take. We can hash it out in our producers' meetings. About whether we're do it. I'm just saying, maybe like, right when, now, maybe that's what I'm feeling. All right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't want to touch that anymore. <laughs> no, I, I get it. Like, I, I think part of the reason I'm I'm like. I literally, within the last 12 months of the show, spent three and a half hours talking about how much <laughs> I love this movie. Like, I I, uh, I, didn't feel right about taking it off my list either for all the reasons that you said. Like, it, it doesn't change uh, – it changes how much I would – I want to see him make more movies. Uh, I, I was very excited for his other Lovecraftian movies and uh, like – uh, like Elijah Wood and the rest of the Spectrevision people, um, like you know, I when they're like, yeah, no, he's done. Like I'm happy. I don't. I don't want his Lovecraftian movies anymore. I want more people to make more Lovecraft movies, but yeah. I don't want Richard Stanley to do it. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a movie that I saw in theaters. I bought the second it came out. We did a whole episode on it. I think with within the year of it coming out, which is very rare to do on the show. Um, if you want to hear us talk. And say all our thoughts about it. The episodes on her feed, um, I but in such in such recency to both the, uh, both the uh, the kind of uh, us learning what happened, uh, and and in a year that I've already talked about enough, I just don't have much more to add. I guess personally, yeah. My number seven is Mare, which is a documentary about um, about the mayor of Ramallah, uh, Musa Hadid, um, and it. Is a film that came to my attention uh, last spring um, when there was a lot happening in that corner of the world, and I haven't watched a lot of Palestinian films, um, and this felt like a priority. It's fantastic. Um, it about half of the movie feels like us it feels almost like a mockumentary satire of like bureaucratic government issues because they're talking about just like all of this mundane aspects of like running local government in Ramallah and it's very it's very there's a lot of very dry humor um and all of that is then contextualized in this extremely real serious situation and basically showing like how little power you actually have in leadership positions when you are under government occupation and you know how do you how do you manage that how do you manage um trying to enact civil service when there are very real barriers preventing you from doing a lot of the work that you need to do it's a terrific film have seen i i saw some folks uh in the communities that we're in talking about it but i hadn't i haven't really seen a lot of discussion of it in a lot of places and i think that that is a shame um because it's a story that is not really uh i don't think we hear about these stories very often and we should more often so i highly recommend checking it out if you haven't seen it peter what is your number uh what's your number seven my number seven is another movie we've covered on the show. Uh, I feel like last year we were kind to ourselves. Do we and only just watch like... movies that we? <laughs> <laughs> last year we were kind. I've seen to eight movies. All of them should be on the cast. <laughs> no, I, I last year we, um, I feel like we were kind to ourselves and we were like, we love this movie. 
Uh, we don't care that it's just like recently in the zeitgeist. We're going to form a month around getting to do this movie. Um, and Palm Springs. Uh, oh, is yeah. A, Palm, we've been doing the annual Groundhog Day month thing for, for quite a bit. Next year, we will not do it. Or, yeah, in 2021, we will not try it. In 2022, we will not be doing it. Um, and we've also done the Groundhog thing a couple times, too. Yeah. And uh, the Palm Springs uh, like explosion where like all of a sudden everybody was watching it and everyone was like, this is really charming. I didn't yeah. know how much I needed a summer rom-com uh, was uh, really, really like refreshing. Like all of a sudden everyone I know was, was watching this very short, uh, very charming Hulu, uh, Hulu rom-com that has a lot of heart. It embraces... Uh, a lot of dark concepts in how it, it depicts its characters, notably like the fact that when you're in one of these time loops, you just go insane and do horrible things because nothing has consequences. The port, the point that like nobody making the movie could have ever predicted was that this would have landed right in the summer of 2020, where all of us wanted actual summer, but we couldn't get it because vaccines weren't out yet. And all of us were kind of mad at certain people for get it, for like going to these massive summer beach parties and like uh, doing beer bongs with each other and making out with each other. We're like, what the fuck are you doing? We need to kill this, this stupid virus. Can you please go back to your house and suffer with the rest of us? Um and then this landing right in the middle of it, which is about uh, the, you know, the, 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 the pains of repeating the same experiences over and over and over again. And how like a lot of the vices that you enact to get through it uh, sometimes grow hollow over time uh, through repetition uh, hit me pretty hard. Uh, I've been waiting yeah. for Andy Samberg to do uh, a actual after being a fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine waiting for him to do an actual movie that touched me somewhere because his most of his comedy movies are just so silly that like I you know apart from the last few minutes of Popstar like I don't yeah. really like emotionally connect with his characters because he's such a such a goofball um, and this is like such a fun moment for his career because I feel like he's learning to be a little bit more brave and what he allows himself to do and be kind of a bad guy at times yeah. um, and also Kristen Malati on like yeah she's, she's needed, great she, she deserved this movie a decade ago right yeah <laughs> she's so good yeah i'll it. i'll talk about it later because it's, it's sort of high high up on my list but yes uh uh agreed that it's fantastic and we'll talk about it more soon uh my number six is i think the first time i've had a dc movie in my top 15 uh and that is birds of prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one harley Quinn. Uh, yeah, it's... Oh, maybe I had Wonder Woman high up. I forget. But I, I don't know if you guys have seen this one, but this movie rules. Yeah. Um, it is uh, just uh, a ton of fun. DC has actually had a very interesting trajectory as, like, after being, like, uh, you know, suf- suffering at the hands of, like, grim, dark Zack Snyder stuff that when... I, f- I feel like they expanded their director roster to some more interesting choices and also were like, yeah, w- we-, we don't need to be sucked into that that world so much you got a lot of movies that were uh, a lot more fun and didn't feel beholden to someone else's version of just being sad all the time which is not what i want in uh my my action brightly colored superhero movies um i really liked suicide squad a lot that came out in 2021 i wouldn't be surprised if that ends up high on my list in in uh when we do this next year but this like I've watched it a few times and it is like everything I want 
in a in a kind of an action superhero movie. It has a just a fantastic performance. Like after Margot Ro- Robbie was like stuck with the like everyone agreed like I think that saw the Suicide Squad, the David Ayer movie. Like that movie was terrible, but I think it may have been my worst movie of the year when we when we recorded that episode. But like she was really good, and it. it's too bad that like clearly David Ayer uh, like put her through like unfortunately a lot of these these movies. Like it's gonna be all male gaze and all like she's just there to support uh, her boyfriend and who is who is of course Jared Leto playing the Joker, um, which makes it that that's that is the dictionary definition of insult to injury, uh, and having like Kathy Yan come on and make this like brightly colored candy coated just fucking fun action movie is was like was like everything i wanted to see in in theaters and like really quickly i you know i hate to call this out specifically in a a movie about with all these fantastic uh uh female-led performances and stuff like that but also ewan mcgregor plays like probably my favorite villain in any of these comic book movies oh he is super sleazy in it (laughs) so i mean i look who doesn't love ewan mcgregor but like getting him to just play yeah, like I don't know. There's there's something about like just feeling like they're not beholden to uh, a level of like seriousness that made it so much fun. So yeah, yeah, I absolutely love this movie. And again, shows like hey, instead of like uh, again, it has the Wonder Woman thing too. Like compared comparing to like Wonder Woman, like and the way like the Amazonians looked and behaved in Zack Snyder's uh, version of it to like to uh, Patty Jenkins' version. It's like oh yeah, like. Putting uh, women behind the camera in these movies makes some of the fucking best movies. That's uh, in, instead of just being like, "Ooh, don't you like seeing nipples through armor?" Like, no, <laughs> no, that's like I, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with nipples through armor. It, it sexualizes them to the point. It sexualizes the the characters to the point that like, uh, it's it's only for horny thirteen year olds and not for everyone else to have a good time. I enjoyed that movie quite a lot, and I think I need to watch it again because my expectations for it were all off, and I think that that put me at a disservice. Based on the posters I had been seeing, I was expecting it to be like a team-up movie, and where when all of their stories were very siloed, and they didn't actually get all together until like the last 15 minutes, I was like, I just kept waiting for that the entire movie, and then it happened, and then it was over. I was like, wait, what? So now that I actually have an expectation of what the movie is, I think I need to give it another chance. (laughs) But I enjoyed it a lot. It was just, I I just kept, I feel like I kept waiting for something that was never going to show up until the end. Yeah, and it kind of, I mean, because it was great, too, because, like, that whole cast, like, Rosie Perez and uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and, like, they're all just so fucking great in it. Yeah. Uh, it kind of sucks that this movie, I don't think, was all that successful financially. Um, no. Which is, uh, so I, I don't know if we'll be getting, like, another entry or if, you know, again. Oh, that's unfortunate. We'll, we'll have to go continue. I, I could be wrong. Maybe they have announced it. Um, again, DC's actually doing some interesting things when it's not Zack Snyder. <laughs> like, I love their Aquaman movie. <laughs> it's just fucking nuts. I just watched that again with my with Maya. She loved it. Like, that movie's insane. It's the best. Yeah. I, I, I was very surprised by that movie as someone who's very burnt out on superhero movies because it's uh, essentially just a action movie with a bunch of wild characters. Some of my favorite... Um, women performers uh, of the uh, the past few years and a few that go back uh, go back further than that 
getting to have a wild, wacky adventure, and it felt like it was channeling like Edgar Wright energy as opposed yeah. to like um, new metal music video energy. Totally. Um, yeah. So I I have no idea why the cult behind the Zack Snyder movies is so large when like this movie and Suicide Squad two, but like the two movies that actually feel like they're rebelling from the the Marvel format and are bloody and brazen and yeah. uh, are disrespectful and yet very respectful because the, they grapple with the core characters and what they actually are. And they're trying to find a way to adapt those characters to the screen and not just be like, well, this character is very handsome and has a very cool costume. And so yeah. we managed to pull that off in this Marvel movie. And yeah. and I'm someone who like, gen- like generally, like I, I liked, I liked a couple of the Mar- the recent Marvel movies like guardians of the galaxy two and such, but like, I mostly like, them when i feel like they're 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 bristling up against the constraints of the format and are trying to make the format um be they are trying to bend the format to what they need to do to accomplish the story um which is true of my favorite westerns my favorite westerns are about taking the western format and being like well what can i do with this this box and how much can i break the barriers of this box um and yeah, the movie the movie rolls. It's a blast. It's one of those movies that like I could absolutely see myself rewatching every year or two, just like as a like I see like a jolt of energy. Yeah, it was also one of the last twenty twenty movies I got to see in theaters, um, which is was yeah. But you know, at the end when it has the 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 song "Woman" playing by uh, shoot, what's her name? Uh, uh, Kesha. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the whole theater like it's just is like smiling and laughing and stuff like that. It just had a lot of generally good vibes uh, that also hit me, hit me right, right where you want, right where movies in theaters should hit you. Uh, Carrie, what is your number six? My number six is uh, Jasper Mall, um, which is a film that was only on my radar because of seeing a couple brief discussions online about how it was, completely underrated um and i really didn't see it talked about anywhere else but i the description of it sounded interesting enough that i checked it out and it completely blew me away um it is a documentary about a uh a shopping mall in alabama that is on its last legs um and i i love memory films and something about there's there's something uh inherent to a film about a dying institution that is um that that makes it a memory film um where it's a it's taking you it's it's shot over a period of time so you're seeing the mall as more and more stores close as it looks more and more decrepit um as fewer and fewer people start go stop going um and you're also seeing the community that gathers around it that you know, in some small towns, there are not many places where you can gather. There are not many places where you can find community. This is a place where you can. And they want to serve the community in any way that they can. And they are having less and less ability to do that over time. Um, It really hit me hard uh, in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, I thought it was a very emotionally impactful film. 
Uh, and I've been thinking about it a lot since I saw it. Uh, I, it's, it, I, it, and there's, I think there's something really beautiful about how you can shoot abandoned places, um, and watching a space over time, how it changes, uh, it's very haunting. So yeah, that's, it really stuck with me. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I watched it because I saw it on your list and I, I feel the same way. Like I, uh, the, the kind of, uh, memory documentaries but also like i was a you know oh mall culture used to be amazing and now it's like this yes. really sad place like that is just beelining to my age group i mean i was you know i spent like the 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 concept of going to a mall was like a treat like when i got and then when i was able to like go to the mall by myself and friends you know yes. and you'd, you'd go and look at like all the cd's you wanted to buy and Everything like I still have a lot of like good good vibe feeling nostalgia wrapped up like when what was it Stranger Things season three and like they you know so much of it is set at that mall like that it's, they it's, reshoot in the Fear Street movies yeah oh yeah like, <laughs> but like so much of that well and, and with the entire cast I think of that season too basically <laughs> Fear Street movies too uh, but like I I am like that is an area of like just. Uh, uh, zillennial bait or whatever that just gets me every time because like uh, we actually have you know I mean I, I live in mall country I don't know if you guys know this we have the mall of America uh, and then That's there's also right. the, Ro- the Roseville mall which is here which is almost like a mini mall of America like that you don't actually like if you want to get shopping done and not be annoyed by everyone and everything you can go to that mall it's like <laughs> it's, super, it's super big and has like four stories and like it's it's really busy all the time so like I actually weirdly have, like, two malls in close proximity to me that, like, don't feel like when I've gone back to, like, the North Dakota Mall five years ago. And it's like, oh, man, I remember when that was a Kirkwood Mall and now it's an abandoned Spirit Hollow. You know, mm-hmm. that, that was the that was the big target and there was the arcade and you go to the arcade to the movie theater. Like, I just I'm of that age where that was like. Those are all just warm, cuddly feelings for me. So, yes, seeing this documentary uh, was a great list wreck that I found, uh, Carrie. But, yeah, like, I I recognize it because I've been to some really sad malls in the last five or ten years. And you do look at those businesses like the the florist or something like that. Oh, yeah. Just go, oh, yeah, like – and then there's the part of me that feels, like, annoyed at feeling bad for all of it because in the same way that, like – uh, a lot of people have rightfully joked about like the, that sometime was like the Criterion sale that a lot of us like we got to support local businesses like Barnes and Noble <laughs> because <laughs> because like we don't want Barnes and Noble to go away. But Barnes and Noble like ruined all of our local bookshops. That yeah, were, I've seen exactly. Yeah, um, but it, like it is it yeah. is that right. Like now all of our now all of our nostalgia is still baked up into these like things that were kind of bad. And like yeah. so when you have that security guard or the security manager in Jasper Mall who's like, we just need the community to rally around the mall. And th- there's a part of me that's like, okay, like it, it's weird to be like that the community. Oh, like I understand what yes. he's thinking. Like, but like this idea of like. They need to cheat these the treat that we we all need to treat these like uh these these monuments to like 
the decadence of, <laughs> of capitalism is like something that people need to patronize for charity reasons so that the mall can keep going. Oh yeah. It's also a very it's also a very silly thought, but like it's one that it's you know, it's so wrapped up into my own childhood that like it's easy for me to get sucked into it and then go well well, hold on wait a second (laughs) yeah and i i I, i've been seeing this uh on twitter in the past like nine months about blockbuster specifically yeah i have a lot of nostalgia for blockbuster Mm -hmm. um and there's a lot of particularly like gen x people who are like Every time somebody's talking about being nostalgic for the video store experience, so they have to swoop in and be like, actually, did you know Blockbuster was bad? It put a lot of mom and pop video shops out of, out of business. And I was like, and I'm like, buddy, I was born in 1991. By the time that <laughs> yeah. I'm a I'm a film dork and some part of that, some major fraction of that math is because. I loved going to Blockbuster and, and touring the, the shelves. By the time that I was able to like go to Blockbuster on my own, somewhere between 1999 and 2003, like I could ride my bike and go rent a movie, and like my parents' yeah. uh, uh, stuff was on the account, so all I had to do really was like give them the the rental fee. Um, all those sh- the, those shops were gone in my suburb. Yeah, there was fa- like, uh, like. We had a family video that we could go to, but it wasn't actually close, and we did go there, but that's also, like, a, a chain that knocked mom and pop stores out, so, like, uh, I, I, I like, like, people love to jump in and just shit and be like, did you know that actually capitalism is bad? I'm like, yeah, obviously, obviously the big corporation is not preferable to a small mom and pop local place, but, like, the, that husk has already rotted away to, to skeletons by the time- yeah. Yeah, I am growing an attachment to these places, and then now we're in this new media environment where, like, uh, the actual films themselves are being made differently because of Netflix and because of Amazon and because of Hulu and Netflix having standards, and the only people that can get around those standards are like fucking David Fincher and Martin Scorsese. Yep. Um, and uh, whereas for me it was like they for some reason my blockbuster as much of a soulless corporation as, as it was you know next to Walmart and all the other big big corporations that were building these shopping malls uh, essentially as rental spaces for other corporations um, as, as much as all of that is 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 true I got to go they had a entire aisle of like asian genre movies and asian dramas and i could like walk in and get like an angley movie and a john john woo movie walk two aisles over get an adam sandler movie walk another aisle over and get like a david cronenberg movie and then walk out of there with like my entire weekend set and i have really warm memories of those experiences despite the fact that like i'm aware that like like welcome to America. Everything that we do yeah. Is, yeah. is just a a, a palimpsest of uh, you know uh, capitalist greed. Uh, everything that exists is because it ate the smaller fish. I understand that, but I still have warm memories of going to malls and going to blockbusters and going to 
going to uh you know uh luckily actually we had we had mom and pop bookshops growing up that we would go to yeah but i do have warm memories of going to burns and noble and being like wow i've never seen so many fucking books and i can go like i can just like become a different me today i can go get a self-help book and then get like a fantasy paperback and i can like like maybe maybe next week when i come back to the store i'll be a different person my interests will be different we build communities in the places that we're able to and i think that what this film does a great job of showing is that in this particular town this is a center of community this is a place where people go to socialize with friends to go on dates to exercise like it it, there's a carnival that takes place there there's it it, we work with what we have and in in lots of places like i i am extremely privileged right now to live in a city where I can access any type of store or place of entertainment that I could ever want. But if I think back to the town I grew up in, which wasn't exactly the middle of nowhere, you know, there were way fewer options. And yeah. in plenty of places, there are fewer options than even that. So we, we, okay, yeah. humans will find ways to build community wherever they are. And the thing that I think this film is really trying to get at is that because of how the world is changing there are more and more centers of community being wiped out and what yeah. what then uh peter your number six my number six is uh similar to palm springs this is a, a movie that hit a little different uh because uh, i was locked in my house uh which is host um, oh yeah Ho- host was a uh is a shutter found footage horror movie uh that somehow in uh you know know, i'm assuming a filmmaking group uh was going insane staring at zoom all day on meetings and they were like why don't we make this into a a bigger horror movie because the current existence is already a horror movie um and it uses some really devious filmmaking techniques and as someone who as someone who like generally likes found footage horror movies, yeah, like I'm I'm all I'm all about uh, be- the inventiveness here. But some of the stuff that it does is very subtle, and a lot of the ways that it builds out these friendships, small connections, is extremely subtle. And I feel like that's what rises it above other movies that I like in the genre. Like I like I like both the Unfriended movies, and I like plenty of the Paranormal Activity movies, and I like The Visit. I like I like a lot of these found footage uh, horror movies that have been shot in the past few years. Um, but this is one that uh, the immediacy of the moment and like strange little ways that like the isolation has gotten to this friend group and how they're trying to like recapture old energy and like it, it just it really spoke to an exact particular moment in time in a way that like I hope in 20 years we can look back on and be like, wow, yeah, that they did live that way and uh, are not actually yeah. living in an endless cycle like we are right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, host host is also... Uh, as someone who I don't say this as a, in a macho macho way, very few movies scare me. Uh, host scared me like a lot. I was very uncomfortable when I was watching Host. <laughs> yeah, Host rules. It's in my top twenty-five. It is uh, fantastic. Uh, it's like it dares to answer like, what if the first Unfriended was good? <laughs> <laughs> I think the first Unfriended is good, but it uh, I was going to say is it it, it 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 turns like all of these small dramas into these like bloated big obvious sort of conflicts um 
in a way that like you could just go watch uh like mungo and get a better version of uh but you can also go to host and get a better version of uh my number five was the five bloods yay by spike lee uh spike lee is just a fascinating filmmaker that's not i mean i don't feel like i'm the first person saying that but just also like how much i connect to his movies like he has produced some of like the best things i've ever seen uh and there's some you know like when he when he is like at his like uh his angriest or when he's just like doing putting all the maximalist buttons on it which i'm obviously a huge fan of i talk about that all the time on the show like throw everything at the screen and like you know it wasn't hard for me besides the fact that they're fantastic movies to fall in love with just the style of filmmaking that he was doing and stuff like do the right thing or malcolm x or 25th hour and stuff like that uh and, and that's always the spike lead that i like uh i like the most i like when he's you know having the the diatribes at the screen and cutting it between footage and stuff like that and Black Klansman from a couple years ago, I think it was like number 17 or 18, didn't quite make my list. Uh, but this one was just like, it's up there with Malcolm X and and uh, Do the Right Thing for me. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's, but it's like everything I like about a Spike Lee movie. He's, ki- he's quasi remaking the, the Treasure of the Sierra Madre while also like addressing America's crimes in in Vietnam while also addressing like the fact that the FBI killed Martin Luther King Jr. Like it's you know it's I have a lot of things to say and every moment on screen I'm going to spend going through this while also telling this like uh kind of amazing adventure story within the trappings of like just generational atrocities uh uh and again he's i i don't i don't need subtlety in my filmmaking it's not a subtle movie that's that's my favorite kind of spike lee movie just literally yelling at your face um about about things that you should and we deserve as a society to be yelled at about yeah Um, yeah. i fucking loved it it was fantastic this was a late ad for me and i think i messaged both of you and was like okay if you guys haven't caught up with it because of runtime which was my biggest uh, barrier. It's like two hours and 40 minutes. Please do so before we record. Yeah, it was one that I, I, I really wanted to watch. I kept putting off in part because I was hearing fairly mixed things about it and also in part because I was hearing a lot of a, a lot about the types of violence in it that was just making me think I need to wait till I'm in the right headspace. Uh, but I did watch it and it ended up being number 17 on my list. So very close. Um, and it's great. I think one of my favorite, the, one of my favorite parts of it and the thing that I keep thinking back to the most is how in the flashbacks, they, where a lot of films would either cast younger actors to yes. play these characters at a younger age or use, uh, CGI de-aging, this film just lets the actors play it as themselves now, which mm-hmm. is kind of setting up this idea of... When you, when you are remembering something, you remember it as you are today. As you are now, yeah. And that was super powerful and effective. And that really unlocked for me a lot of what the film was saying about memory and about, you know, yeah. the way that they're describing their experiences and, like, the the ways in which they are, they may be unreliable narrators about their own experience and what are they leaving out and what are they remembering more than other things and it was that i that yeah. was such an interesting choice that i don't think anyone else would have done 
Yeah, and it also, I agree. Like, I, I was so happy that that was the case because at first you're like, oh, are, are these four actors who are great, are they not going to be in the movie that much because you kind of expect everyone to be young? And I also think it does a really good job of, like, highlighting the person that's not with them that they don't have a vision of him like, yep. as a as an older person because, uh, you know, they're kind of telling the story as one of their – one of their members of their troupe, uh, played by Chadwick Boseman, which also obviously has a lot of metatextual sadness. Yeah. Uh, watching it in 2021, like, you know, his he's he's a, you know, young man uh, playing these scenes with all of these, uh, you know, uh, actors in their in their 50s and 60s, because like that's where setting up something that, you know, very early, but still doesn't make it any less affecting that like their memory of him ends. And so they don't get to think back of him as being like on anything more than the, you know, the 20 year old or whatever that, that he was. So yeah, just a fucking fantastic movie, something um, uh, like, like a lot of Spike Lee's best movies, things that you're like, Oh, I need to watch that again as soon as possible. And, uh, uh, and yeah, uh, if you if you skipped it because it was a Netflix uh, later era Spike movie, uh, Spike Lee movie, uh, and you somehow none of the buzz that did happen uh, didn't convince you, uh, I would highly highly recommend taking a. Take- yeah, I I was pretty mixed on it, but the I would not say uh, that I, I regret my time with it. It is a very powerful movie, even at the times where I found myself like bracing against what spike lee was saying sorry screaming in my face um <laughs> the uh but some of the, the delroy lindo performance yeah. and that oh monologue my god he's to the amazing camera is yes. one of the one of the craziest things that i've seen a main a a, a filmmaker do uh even in the indie space like i love that he still has the audaciousness uh, that he had when he was like 25 yeah, yeah. um because he's like I he's like I made a huge movie with Inside Man not that long ago. No one no one fucking picked up my calls. Nobody wanted anything out of me. They wouldn't even give me a sequel to Inside Man. Like I had a script ready to go and uh because I because they consider me, you know, troubling uh and then, you know, who gives a fuck? Like I'm not I'm not playing by their rules anymore and to have yeah. like a camera a, a monologue delivered directly to the camera that's like somewhere between um un unknowable nonsense and like harsh harsh truths is it's just it's fantastic it's 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 exactly what i needed um out of out of it um i had a lot of i had a lot of problems with the movie but like i would not i i this is definitely a must-see movie still because it's just so so powerful yeah yeah uh, agreed okay Carrie, your number five. My number five uh, is Shirley, which I feel like a movie that is completely tailor made for me specifically. It is. <laughs> it is a uh, witchy, queer, uh, mental illness. Uh, all of these uh, like human drama people, you know, getting into all of these weird dramatic situations together with some of the absolute best performances of the year uh i just loved it i had very little familiar i had no familiarity i should say with shirley jackson before i watched it um and i I, from from what i understand 
if this is all I'm going off of, I still have very fam- little familiarity with Shirley Jackson um, <laughs> because it sounds like it was not uh, terribly much based in anything factual, um, which I can see. I can see if you are a longtime fan of her work, perhaps that creates a problem. Um, but w- from where I was coming into it, I just ate it up. I thought it was absolutely delicious. And uh, the... The three, I would say, like the three central performances. There's, there's a fourth uh, who is a little bit forgettable, but um, Elizabeth Moss, Odessa Young, and Michael Stuhlberg are all phenomenal. Um, oh, incredible! Absolutely amazing. Um, I think this is probably my pick for Elizabeth Moss's best work, um, at least in film. Um, it's just such a, it's such an unexpected- You're thinking of some of her performances as a spokesperson for Scientology. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm thinking, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to, like, look at Mad Men and say that Mad Men isn't- Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, (laughs) uh, but no, this is a role from her that I, I hadn't, I would have had no idea she had in her. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. No, I think you put it well, Carrie. I, wa- I I watched it for I watched it for Spooktober this year because I heard it was sort of turning. It's definitely more in the like sort of uh, psychological drama category. It, 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 the ending I think veers into a sort of psychological horror. Um, but it's it's basically the way I would describe it is if Shirley Jackson stumbled into one of her own stories, and if you read Shirley Jackson's stories, which I had the pleasure of doing uh, one of her collections last year, just just sitting down and just doing story after story and then just taking a moment in between to, like, digest, because some of them end on this sort of, like, what the fuck just happened kind of emotional moment. Like, I don't know what she was trying to say there is, is my immediate reaction, and then, like, the next morning or a week later, I'll be like... Oh, that's what she was getting after. And sometimes there, I I walk away and I still don't know what what she was getting after. Um, It's like she stumbled into one of her own own stories. Uh, I had issues with the first like 20 minutes that the movie uh, earned earned back. And it's because like, I think it's very hard sometimes when you love, you love, love, love a real life figure to like write them in a way that's not embarrassing. Oh, sure. Um, Because it's like, oh, yes, I'm Shirley Jackson at a party swishing my cigarette around and drinking cocktails. You know me, famous alcoholic and overweight woman. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But like they get past that shit in like 15 minutes and then the story is just incredibly human and heart-wrenching and painful. And uh, yeah, I'm... uh, I'm a big fan of this. It didn't quite crack my my twenty just because this year was so good. Oh yeah, easily easily could have. It was a powerful movie. Peter, what's your number five? My number five is Minari. I should have snuck my thoughts in earlier with uh, with Carrie's, but um, but uh, Minari is a movie that snuck up on me because when it first started, I was like, yes, Stephen Yoon is very handsome, and yes, this family mm-hmm. is adorable. But I've seen these movies about the immigrant experience over and over again, and I know exactly where it's going. And at some point, that all their friends are going to turn against them because they're Asian and uh, yada yada. And the movie just consciously refuses to fall into tropes and stereotypes about anybody. It refuses to be reductive of the human experience. And like, it does that miraculous thing um, 
that I think only great movies can do where when the, when the ending happens, you don't know if it's a happy ending or not because life doesn't ever give you a clear answer. Like, you know, like life doesn't ever give you clear, happy, clean cutoff of like, yep, well, that part of your life is over and it had a happy ending. Like, there's plenty of times in your life where you know that that part of your life is over and it fucking sucks. But usually that's just like, it's just like these events just stack and inter, 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 interweave with each other in a way that like, you just kind of have to keep going forward uh, if you want to survive. And this is a story about a family of survivors, a story about bad communication between uh parents in a time when honestly like men were not expected to communicate that well with their wives um they were kind of just uh they were kind of just expected to be these uh, aggressive breadwinners and aggressive uh drivers of the the sort of family unit and uh the movie is very much about wrestling with like what the expectations are of a family that they've grown up with what expectations can they adjust to and like do any of those cultural expectations actually matter when a relationship just isn't fucking working um and minari is a movie that'll make you cry it'll make you laugh it's 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 like a perfect it's a perfect sort of like like uh i wouldn't quite say life affirming at times life affirming but it's a perfect sort of like like uh uh life edifying movie i would say um it's sort of like it it, it sort of helps uh bring some comfort i would say as um somebody whose lives you know is somebody who lives a life that like never quite has like a clean closed book on anything um and uh that's what's beautiful about it why when it was over i was still thinking about it long after um which is a lot you can it's, it's not a lot to ask of a movie for me to be thinking about it later but unfortunately like uh, I don't end up thinking a lot of movies about a lot of movies, you know, even 15 minutes after they're over. And this is one that like days later, I was just thinking about like, am I communicating correctly with my partner? And what would I want to as a, you know, the head of a family? And how would I feel if I were in this sort of like gender expectations of this time? Just a fantastic movie. It, it's, it's, yeah. About, yeah. It's, about, it's about being human. No, I'm just going to say it gives it gives you a lot of faith in humanity that it, yeah. in terms it, it maybe not necessarily. uh you know, oh, every everything is is beautiful and rosy, but knowing ultimately people people are strong enough to get through challenging situations and things, even if things aren't going to be like great, they can be okay, and you can you can survive the shitty things. Um, that can sometimes be comforting all in its own. Yeah. Uh, my number four, I feel legitimately guilty for stealing. I know it's going to be on Peter's list. I know I'm stealing his thunder and I feel guilty because I can't think of a movie that probably frustrated Peter more over the last year or so as he, uh, dutifully tried his best to recommend this movie to, uh, to myself and, uh, friend of the show, Ryan Boland, only to have it turned into a meme and no one to watch the movie for an entire year. And that is Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor, which is just a fantastic a horror movie. It feels like, you know, I, I hate just saying like, oh, he made a movie like like uh, his dad's. But he kind of did like this idea of this like cold, technologically f- uh, f- scary 
uh, horror movie that just it feels in the same way when you see when you saw like a good Cronenberg movie, it felt like nothing else you'd ever seen. I, I kind of feel that way. Like my only comparison point to this movie is like a David Cronenberg movie. Totally. Um, it is like cold and sad and like also has this idea of like th- there's a lot of like I-, I don't feel this way personally, but I but I think that not many movies really grapple with the idea that like uh, that like you could be a woman who prefers work to family and that that's not necessarily a crime the way that society wants it to be or like has de- deemed it to be. And so like the movie also like grapples with that a lot. I say it for me, per- not for like me personally for women, but me personally <laughs> for like, I, I, I prefer family to work. Um, but, uh, like that, that's the other way. Uh, there's less expectations, stupidly, for me societally on that. Uh, so I, I just think it's a fucking fantastic movie. It's so, like, scary and creepy. And yeah, like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's up there with like Panos, uh, Cosmotos, Cosmatos. Cosmatos, Cosmatos, uh, of and and now Brandon, uh, Brandon Cronenberg of like f- horror filmmakers that I just am like will be at any of their movies. It just feels like they're doing something bizarre and weird, and I fucking love it. Uh, watching it was bittersweet because it meant that Charlie Bucket had to die. Oh, but rip, rip Charlie Buckets. R.I.P. Charlie Buckets. Something I couldn't explain to our audience, and I wouldn't, but know that there are more pictures saved in my phone that. Uh, are around Charlie Buckets in relation to me not watching this movie, uh, then there are, there are probably yeah. are pictures of my animals. Uh, people people love uh, You Should Have Been There jokes. Carrie, what's your number four? My number four is probably the film that has been slowly creeping up on my list ever since I watched it, and that is Kajillionaire. Um, I walked in with pretty much no expectations for it. I, I've seen some of Miranda July's work, but I wouldn't say I am, you know, someone who follows her closely. Uh, and so I didn't really know what this was going to do for me. And I saw it, I, I saw it at a time when issues of, uh, family, and uh nurturance and things like that were were uh starting to take new significance in my life um and it hit me very strongly uh this is about um Evan Rachel Wood is the daughter of uh these con artists who basically have this very uh transactional relationship with her where everything all of their affection towards her is based on what value she can bring to uh, whatever type of uh, scam they're trying to pull at any given time. Mm. And in the process, they meet Gina Rodriguez, uh, who decides to start uh, kind of joining their family. um, And then things uh, get complex um, and it becomes more about the dyna- the new family bond uh, that Evan Rachel Wood and Gina Rodriguez's characters are forming together. Um, this is a film I have not been able to get out of my head since I watched it. There are certain scenes that I keep going back to. Um, it's a movie that I I have I wanted to watch it again in prep for this just to see if it 
if my if if it actually really is as good as as my memory is building it up and mm-hmm. i didn't because i remember feeling so emotionally wrecked by it that i didn't actually feel ready to go back to you it, go it again. Yeah. so i'm excited to see it again at some point uh but it's a lot it and I don't know that it necessarily would be for everybody, but for for where I was when I watched it and for mm. what buttons it happened to press for me, uh, it really it really messed me up in a good way. Uh, so I'm excited to see it again eventually, but uh, I might need some time before that. But it yeah. it crept up enough on my list that I had to actually move it up further from where it originally had been because... I, I really truly can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, I uh, I I missed this one. It, it still is on my catch up list. I loved me and you and everyone we know, and I was a little more mixed on the future. And I heard some mixed things about this one, so I wasn't. I didn't end up rushing out to see it, although I would have liked to do it for catch up. But that uh, that recommendation makes me think I need to get back and catch up on it. Yeah, I, I saw this one, uh, carry on your recommendation. It didn't make my list, but it was a like a very fascinating uh, character portrayal because uh, I, I feel like Miranda July came from like a school of indie director that was like, make it quirky, make it quirky, make it quirky. Uh, and then she was like, yeah, but I'm, I also like I need I need to base that in something that it actually makes people feel things. So like that's why people years later still remember the I want to what is it the I want to poop back and forth with yep. you forever joke from me and you and everyone you know like people still make jokes about that mm. and, and like we're, sorry people still remember that particular joke it's very clear it's a joke um and uh that sort of uh putting a basis behind the quirkiness is why she's survived as an artist and why her movies I think have survived as as uh, as pieces of art um and why it's fun to see people discover I think it's the future is that the one she did about like 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, people were posting about seeing that when Conjillionaire came out. And I was like, that's so cool that like you can have something that just like for some reason it just resonates with a bunch of people. Um, I do think this is her best movie yet. Uh, but for some reason it resonates with a bunch of people. And then people go back to your previous work and treat it with the, the respect that it deserved in the first place. So, yeah, uh, didn't make my, didn't make my list, but it was uh, I was really glad I, I got to catch it. The strange voice that Evan Rachel Wood uses. Oh my in god! It. Yeah, not to, not like it being disrespectful, but like I was doing that voice with my wife for like a week after. Like <laughs> everything about how she inhabits this character is so off-putting, but wonderful. Like she really makes this character into a fully fleshed-out person who does not look or talk or act like anyone you have encountered before um but it never feels like a caricature it never Mm. feels like this is you know a a cartoonish persona that she's putting on like it it feels very very authentic yeah yeah i uh i i agree it's not a um it's not a ridiculous like charade of reality and it's not her making a joke out of the character. It's like very, very, very touching and, and heartbreaking that you're like, this is just, this is just a strange little monster that they, they made by making a con man child. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a cool movie. Uh, Peter, you're number four. My number four uh, is Bakurao, which is a, 
let's say it's a, a leftist infused uh, take on uh, the most dangerous game, um, but it's never dishonest. It's a movie that can step into the ridiculous, but it's never dishonest. Um, and it, it's never acts as like a wish fulfillment vehicle or um, a sort of a punishing journey and like, you know, like a self-flagellation for 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 people it's not um it's not self-punishing uh in a sort of pitiful way it's it's very much like an honest depiction of of how like populations are, are hurt by uh predatory capital capitalism um and uh the the all the performances are pretty fun um some of the european actors are a little uh cornball but they fit inside this this you know, in, insanity soup, which is like a bunch of people that want to hunt a South American village uh, to, to to extinction. Um, but this is one of Udo Kier's best performances yeah. he's ever given. And uh, it really backs up an interview I heard with him a few years ago, because I love, love Udo Kier, where he's like, he's like, I give Udo Kier to the movie and if the director knows what he's doing, he'll either find a way to work Udo Kier <laughs> into the scene, or he'll find a way to redirect Udo Kier into the right into the right moment. Like he oh, he is like a he is a force of nature yeah. that like he he needs to be placed in the right place by a director. And directors that let him go off the rails, like sometimes it benefits the movie. Sort of like Nicolas Cage, like sometimes it benefits the movie. Yeah. And dire- but directors that like work with him and engage with him, they just get a whole different beast. Like the, the directors that actually want to work with him get, just receive this this tremendous gift. Um and he's it's it, he, it's gonna be so sad when he's gone because he's just one of those those actors that for years did like whatever trash he needed to survive. Um, but in the past few years has gotten recognition for just being a powerhouse. Yeah, I mean, you know what I say? Udo Kier and Dear to My Heart. Uh he is good. Yeah, he's Udo Deer. Yeah, Udo Kier and Near and Deer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like yeah, it. Yeah, it was my it was my number nine. Obviously, I I, I loved it. So yeah, owns. Uh, my number three is I was happy to see it so high on Carrie's list. Uh, this is you know if Kajillionaire Carrie was yours, that kind of you needed to like just uh, rebalance because it has stayed with you in a in in a way. Yeah, I think this was mine. This like this was always on my top ten, but just kind of kept itching up, and I did do a rewatch of it, and that is VHS um it's so great it's so great like i love this is i again i i don't know what you're looking for out of movies if this doesn't fit somewhere in there because it is like heartfelt it is like the the last scene is pretty terrifying um i got a chance to see this in theaters like all the little found footage and exploring a house was like like I i had some good jump moments also like here's here's the thing that i feel like I always need to sell to people on this one because when you re- when you when you're like oh it's a bunch of kids watching like uh, you know 80s public access stuff and like all the different come th- uh, the different shows it, it comes through and I think the trailers made it seem like this too that it feels like you're gonna get like a little bit of like Tim and Eric's awesome show like anti humor and stuff like that which I like Tim and Eric I like Steve Brule I love all that stuff we're just like. You know, the actors doing these, like, weird, uh, uh, you know, selling QVC type stuff is is going to be a joke in and of itself. And what really – and that's kind of what I was expecting going in. 
What surprised me is that it does match the aesthetic and the feeling of watching those shows and, you know, watching watching those stations and those weird old tapes like late at night. But it actually has written some uh, fucking hysterical dialogue and jokes in it. it is oh, not, yeah. It is not anti-humor funny. It had me – it is like – they they've written dialogue that is meant to be hilarious and it like sticks the landing almost every time. I was dying in theaters watching watching this movie and it just like it's amazing how much like nostalgia and humor and terror and heart they were able to pack into this like 80 minute bizarro package. So yeah, this is going to be one of those movies that I think like as I, you know, you know, those those movies that oh, for some reason only you were aware of and just keep recommending to people. This is a hundred is going to be like a Brigsby bear for me where I'm just constantly like, oh, have you seen VHS? We should all watch VHS together because it's so like so weirdly perfect. Uh, but yeah, I love this movie and it is mine. One of my three. favorite things about how the comedy works in this movie is like each of the bits feels like if it ran for a couple minutes longer, it would get old. Yeah. But because of how it's paced, like, you get a hilarious moment and then it cuts to something totally different. And then it knows when so, to come back, too. Ex- exactly. Yeah. So you, you get just enough time with everything. So none of it is overstaying its welcome. None of it is dragging out. It lets you have the highlights of everything. Um, and then the thing that I really wasn't expecting is that there would be an actual plot yeah. and that there would be like story deve- like character development and this like emotional uh, family story yeah. at the heart of it. Because um, based on what I had, I don't remember if I'd watched a trailer beforehand, but based on what I had been reading about it, it was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be like a fun uh, kind of editing experiment. I'll see what it's like. But it it goes it goes places. Yeah. That I don't th- I don't think the marketing conveys that it goes places. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you convey <laughs> like it's it's it, it's true. It really is it really is an oddball, unique picture that I think is like primed to become a cult movie in ten years because it, it, I think the trailer has a hard time conveying because there's not like uh, you know I was expecting a Tim and Eric thing with funny people and that's not what I got at all and I I think yeah. I think it's easy to expect that because how do you convey uh, a movie this this odd uh but carrie what is your number three movie of 2020 my number three is never rarely sometimes always um a film that uh i i, I was pretty sure i would like um based on what i was hearing about it um but it hit me very strongly um it's about a young woman who is traveling uh, in order to be able to get an abortion. Um, The thing that really stood out to me is the way that this character uh, is developed through not even a lot of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, She's a a very quiet character who she is traveling with somebody, but she's keeping all of her emotions internal. And I, um, I think you guys both know this because, uh, this was something that I was doing when we were first, uh, starting to be friends. Um, but a few years back, I volunteered as a, uh, sexual assault crisis advocate at a hospital in New York. 
And um, the, while this film is not explicitly about sexual assault, and I say explicitly because I do think that there are things that are implied at various points. Oh, yeah, their manager um, at, the, and the, at the grocery the way store, they 100%. do. Yeah. The way they do it is is really artful. Um, but I thought about my experience volunteering a lot while I was watching this movie because my what I would do is uh, I would get a call in the middle of the night from the ER on on nights when I was on call, and they, you know, I would if I got a call, I would go in, I would introduce myself to the person who was there and basically explain the resources that I could tell them about, um, the, you know, the, the various services and options available to them. And then otherwise, yeah. if they wanted, if they didn't want any of those things, I could just be there to listen to anything that they want to talk about. And there were some people that really wanted to talk and some people who really did not want to talk. And the character, and never really, sometimes always, reminded me so much of the people I met who did not want to talk. Um, and the way that uh, the film captures going through a trauma and wanting to have help and support, but also not wanting to let people in, yeah. is so gracefully handled. And there is a scene... The, the titular scene yeah. um, where a, uh, a, 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 not an actor, an actual real Planned Parenthood social worker um, in, bril in a brilliant casting uh, is basically giving her this intake and asking her questions uh, to which she can select never, rarely, sometimes, or always. And it's the first moment where you see her start to crack a bit yeah. and there's very there's very little explicit information divulged in that scene um because it, it's all in this questionnaire format and you don't get additional details about almost anything but the way that slowly this, the backstory starts to come out through this exchange is just masterfully handled. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, this film really blew me away. Yeah, the titular I, I, scene is, is, is uh, uh, it broke me. I was on a, yeah. I, yeah. I, for some reason, have a bad habit of watching movies I know will destroy me on a plane. And I was just Wait, like, Peter, you watched this on a plane. I watched this on a plane, too. Oh, oh that's funny. Did you really? I, yeah. yeah, I watched it. Um, I had to go on that work trip right before Spooktober, and I, this was like, this was not one, uh, Carrie, that I was not going to watch before we recorded this. And they had it, and I'm like, oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, oh, wasn't a perfect situation. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I didn't know that you watched this too, Peter, on a plane. Uh, yeah, we're plane buddies when it comes to this and your name now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I have a bad habit of watching movies that I know will destroy me on a plane. And, like, this movie was doing totally fine because I was sort of yeah. watching it almost as, like, a documentary, like, plain spoken fact kind of thing. Where I was yeah. like, yeah, this is horrible, but I could sort of view it from a observer level. And then as the event gets closer and closer, I started to just uh, become more and more hurt. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, the... The movie is very unassuming until it's very much not. Until it's assuming. Um, 
It's, it until yeah. it starts getting assuming. I don't know what that means, but it's very unassuming until <laughs> it's the opposite it, of it, unassuming. It very much makes its its point clear uh, in the last yeah. you know uh, twenty to thirty minutes uh, in a way that is it yeah. just hit, it hits you hard. Hits you yeah, like a ton it, of bricks. Yeah, it, yeah, it hits that part too. Besides, like empathizing with uh, with the character and uh, what they're going through too. Like it also like. I think you called it perfectly, Carrie, like that thing of like, I just want to help someone more than I know that there's any like, you you know, like that thing of like wanting to, you know, trauma is something that people have to deal with internal and like, mm-hmm. and like, there's not a way to just make trauma better. And like, still on that same note, how many people in all of our lives who have like, you recognize either through like explicit telling or even more times just recognize that there's there's something there and like you know there's things that you can obviously for anyone there's things that you can do to help whether it's acquaintance or a good friend or and that's going to vary based on a lot of different factors but you know that that feeling like of that that Planned Parenthood worker of just like all I just need to get the information and I like you could just see it in her face how much she wanted to be able to somehow like fix this or at least solve a problem with like where you're going to stay and what money is being used for it without like with without but without like stepping over her boundaries that she's clearly the uh you know uh putting up for a variety of reasons and just like that entire thing that concept of like even the friend that goes with with her and is like I, I know I need to be here for support, but you're also kind of being a jerk in some cases, and I don't know what to do, and you're not letting me in, but I but I want to be there for you. And it's just like, I like that feeling of like, how do I, you know, I, I think it's common to just be like, I just want to be able to fix something that I know I can't fix and not knowing how to, how to deal with that, except knowing that you want to be able to do more. Yeah, did you also have and that then, feeling where you're like, I can give you $200, are you going to be okay? <laughs> yeah, I know, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was a movie, I think I, I think I, uh, like, I, I have a monthly donation to Planned Parenthood, but I think I went, like, I'm like, I want to give another few, I want to give an extra donation on top of my monthly, <laughs> you know, because it's like, I, you just want to be able to do more to help, and, like, uh, this movie hits at that, like, like, really, really strongly. And then there are these little moments, and I think nearly every moment like this is nonverbal, where people are actually able to offer real support to each other. There's a scene, I think, uh, I think it's, I think it's at Port Authority uh, bus terminal where uh, the the cousin that she travels with has been flirting with this boy, and they they start making out, and it doesn't. It, it is unclear the extent to which it's consensual. And uh, our our protagonist is around the corner yeah. and just starts holding her hand. Yeah. And is basically, it's the nonverbal moment of like, I will be with you through this. Yeah. And that those kinds of moments are where the movie shows you like, there, there are ways that people are offering each other support in this moment. It's not going to look like you imagine support yep. looks in these grand gestures, but there are little ways in which people can connect. And I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. Peter, what is your number three movie of 2020? Well, I don't really feel comfortable adding this one right after never really after this kind of color out of space next one aaron what's, what's, aaron what's my next number, number two 
It is. Uh, you know, we can make these episodes a lot shorter if all the directors get canceled when we make the list. <laughs> um, uh, just God. Consequences, not a thing. Uh, just consequences for actions. Uh, number two is another movie that we've already talked about a little. One that uh, is spontaneous, uh, which... Uh, you know, like, it, it, it's just a movie, like, the second I realized what the concept was, I was in. Uh, and I will say, like, this is kind of my story on, on Spontaneous. I watched this at the worst goddamn time that you can watch a movie. Um, I had finished my hundredth Spooktober movie. Um, it was Halloween night. I, again, watched a hundred new movies over 31 days. An insane amount. Uh, which I watched Perfect Blue. was my hundredth. And I'm like, okay, I still have time for a couple more. And I'm like, oh, this looks light. Uh, and so this was my 101st movie of the month. I think it was like my 7th or 8th movie of that day. Which is like the perfect candidate movie for me to like half pay attention to. Or even if it's fantastic for me to just feel so like overwhelmed with movies and images and plots and stories and characters that I can't properly get absorbed and this movie was probably the best movie i watched for the entire month like i was sucked in from the get-go i love these kind of like high concept um comedies where again it has a magical realism element um i love like um uh movies that are able to really give like i think uh, uh, some sort of insight into like you know the the kind of uh, high school experience from that perspective like it's why like uh you know like stuff like perks of being a, a, wall, a wallflower I, I don't think it's a very good movie it has moments that i really like but like that's a hard truth to get into because high school movies are typically written by adults and so like really capturing that feeling of like love and friendship and what it means to just kind of be part of this like weird community while the adults are all sort of running your lives in various ways um it's such a hard thing i think to get right i think this movie does that perfectly i think the 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 idea of this sudden you know pandemic that is like affecting all these these kids in this way like how could that not feel a little bit uh, i watched it in 2020 like it it resonated with that and then yeah, there's a turn halfway through the movie that takes it into a whole different level of just um, what you're wrestling with and, and what you're dealing with that I don't I don't want to ruin. But it is it is it is ever I mean, it's funny. It's romantic. It's uh, scary and terrifying and has all these shocking oh, yeah. moments. Like it is it is everything that I want in a movie and doing all of these things very well. My one caveat, which I've, I've told people, is that. I feel I don't know if it was a lack of confidence or what, but I feel like in the last minute of the movie, our protagonist gives a summation of everything and what they learned that feels like it should have been excised from the movie. I have chosen to ignore that in my consideration of everything. Uh, easy to ignore. It doesn't ruin the movie, but all of a sudden a movie that was very like s- somewhat subtle for a movie about people that explode um, becomes a little bit too like, uh, oh shit, will people not get what our themes are? What if I have them tell it in this really like cringe inducing speech? So ignore that. Forget about that. You can stop it or just, you know, one minute at an end of a perfect movie doesn't ruin the movie. But uh, yeah, love it. Going to watch it a million more times. I'm so glad that this is one that you recommended. It it is just such a sweet and and very upsetting story. Yeah. But the way that it balances the various modes is really wonderful. Um 
And I wasn't expecting to get so invested in these characters and their relationships to the extent that I did, but they're they're so well defined. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean I high school movies, these kind of high school movies have such a, a different like they have a second layer to me because I vividly remember all of the feelings and, you know, all the big feelings and little feelings and stuff of what it was like to, to be at that, uh, to be in high school and all the things that come with it. But I also have it like, you know, I'm also a parent and like the parents just not knowing what the fuck to do while this like thing is happening to their kids in their school is also like a second layer of resonance uh, that's not as well delved into, but uh, is is something that is additive to it. So, uh, yeah, I love this movie. Great. I also love that this movie, uh, I think a lot of movies trying to do this idea would over-explain. Yeah. And this movie does a very good job of not giving you easy answers yep. to anything. To anything. And just letting it, letting it be what it is. Yep. Carrie, your number two. My number two is uh, Lover's Rock, which is a film. This is a film that I really, truly believe would be high on my list in any year. However, uh, this is 2020 that we're talking about. And I I will admit that, yeah, maybe watching a movie about a bunch of people having a really awesome time at a party with their friends in the winter of 2020, that might have like struck a particular chord with me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was something about watching the joy of a really great party of just being with uh with with people that you love and uh some people that you don't particularly like very much um but but there are but when weird stuff goes down there's people that are going to be there to make it better um and it's it's such such a happy beautiful uh story of just connection and being together with other people and watching it last winter uh, when I hadn't seen anybody in such a long time. I couldn't <laughs> remember the last time I had been in any kind of large gathering. It it felt like, oh, oh, this is what it's like. Yeah. This is what it's like to be with your friends and have a really good time and listen to music together. This is that. Um wonderful like I, I feel like it came out at the exact right moment um and it just uh it, it it hit the button so well and i have watched it since so i know that this wasn't just an emotional like oh i wish i could be doing that thing that they're doing um i've watched it since it absolutely holds up it has one of the best soundtracks i've yeah. heard in a very long time uh but god damn it, it it's it, it feels like the for me it's like the 2020 zeitgeist movie of yeah. what is what is the fantasy of the thing that you wish you could have right now here it is for you in movie form and if we think of movie movies as occasionally a wish fulfillment art form you know this is one that absolutely nailed it for me yeah this is the only of the small axe movies I ended up getting to it's in the high 20s on my list or i guess low 20s was how you would say it's the good 20s um, 
<laughs> high in the twenties, uh, in the low twenties. It's I in the well, the yeah, it's, it's yes. high on my list in the low twenties. Low twenties, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I uh, love this movie. Uh, you're right, though. Like, it just the music is fantastic. The idea of just like everyone setting up a party, good vibes, great music, one or two sketchy dudes, uh, perfect. Uh, yeah. perfect movie. <laughs> yeah, Peter, it's time for the one before. The It's Time movie. <laughs> it is the penultimate. Which means... Can't argue with it. It's almost ultimate. Uh, high and high in the a, ones on the low it, end. The nice thing is that if you <laughs> want to know what us three think of this movie, you could listen to an episode with <laughs> us three talking about this movie. It's David Byrne's American Utopia. Oh! Yay! It's so it's so good. It's so Did good! Um, well, it's a good movie in that um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And the songs are good. Are you familiar with any of David Byrne's previous work? Never touched his stuff. Guy seems a little kooky for me. Um, but I <laughs> sorry. I, I I I will I will say I am I am delighted and slightly surprised that it ended up being so high on your list because of how much you love Stop Making Sense. Uh, I think I I think I had sort of assumed that like because. It's like another uh, another concert. Well, not a concert doc, but it's a similar sort of setup. It would like not hold a candle, uh, and it, and you might not be as positive on it ultimately. No, but this is great. No, because it's 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 very much a different beast, and in that sense, it feels like almost like a, a separate uh, album. It's a separate visual work that David Byrne has worked up, and uh, I mean, totally. if, I mean, if stop making sense. We're the number one movie or stop making sense came out in 2020 i not only would have made it my number one i would have stopped being friends with you if you didn't make it your number one <laughs> it would have been, been a super number one <laughs> this is the this is the uh spike lee movie this year that touched me uh deep down inside my soul i i didn't know he did that not david burn was willing to put himself in a position of speaking sort of uh candidly but in a obviously in a pre pre written sense, but sort of speaking candidly about issues and and, and sort of speaking what the work means to him, uh, because yeah, because yeah. talk uh, stop making sense it acts in sort of a more abstract quality, which gives it its own separate power. This is much rawer and much purer, and the sequence at the end where he's kind of going through the crowd and they're all singing together, yeah, is is it, oh, it's so good. It just makes the entire concert a different experience, and 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 we talked about this in the episode, but if you compare interviews that he gave around the time of Stop Making Sense and the interviews that he gave while he was leading up to this. And one of them, a very fascinating one that we discussed, um, is uh, he basically was like, oh, I just kind of found out that I am on the autism spectrum. <laughs> and he just talks about that like openly for like five minutes with like no joking and no sense of abstraction. You're like, he would have never given an interview like that back in the 80s or the 90s. Mm-hmm. Like he's just, a, he's a different performer uh, now than he's he's ever been and we're getting to see a side of him that i think is it's crucially important that we get to see both sides of him because he's evolving as an artist and he no longer doesn't really have a need for that that artifice that he used in in stop making sense uh and i can't wait for this to this was one of those shows i was gonna see when it came to san diego and then it didn't come to san diego because of covid um uh this is one of those shows i'm very very excited whenever they they get a proper uh tour going if it if and when that happens um because wow wow what a work 
Uh, yeah, it was it was my number sixteen. So it just missed me talking about it a bunch. But you know, yeah, obviously fantastic. Okay. Um, yeah, my my number one to to stick with the theme is a movie that we covered on the show. Um, I don't think it would be my number one though if we didn't cover it on the show. So it's it's Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Um, Palm Springs, yay! Which is, uh, I guess, two of the six years we've done this. I've had Lonely Island movies at my top uh, with Brigsby Bear, another movie that we also covered on the show this year. When I first saw it, like everything that you're saying, Peter, like, uh, yeah, it was it was this fun Andy Samberg movie um, of a the concept that obviously we love the Groundhog Day month um, concept that we've or the Groundhog Day situation that we've, we've done a couple months on. Groundhog's Day one is one of my favorite movies. Um, and I, you know, I think I gave it like four, four and a half stars. And it wasn't until we rewatched it for our show last year that I really started to like, you know, all the plot machinations behind really started opening up to everything that was going on in the movie from a character perspective, both from, from Andy Samberg's character and uh, uh, Christine. Uh, Christine Milotti? Melody, yeah. Okay, sorry, I second guess myself. <laughs> so many times with Italian names. Kristen <laughs> um, uh, Melody, uh, character where, uh, and I think we we like one one part that I, we spent a lot of time in the show talking about is that, like it's the only movie I think I've ever seen to date too that has like what an apology and a response to an apology should be, um, and that that has really stayed with me. That idea of like the movie not trying to like rescue the shitty stuff that one character's done for the sake of like making you like them or like their relationship or something again, but like just being allowed to, to say, you know, Hey, I really fucked up. And the person just going, okay, yeah, thank you. And then, and then kind of moving through that. And I think the movie has a lot of those very like humanist moments about like, what it means to be a person, what it means to be a person who falls in love, what it means to like be stuck in a cycle of like just toxic, your own toxic behavior, the toxic behavior of your friends and your family and, and, and your, you know, significant others and everything else. And how like that is its own cycle that kind of drags you down. And it does this all in this like brisk, uh, funny pace or very funny, like well-paced, like, you know, sci-fi kind of, time travel loop movie and and so like you know one of the things that i that i think that i always try to do when we're making these these lists is like when i'm looking at the top 10 or the top five i also try to you know not just place what i what i think is the best i don't know if palm springs is the best movie i saw but i but it definitely is the movie i probably will watch the most times and that's true of spontaneous and vhs and some of these other ones at high like I could watch Palm Springs, you know, probably 20 times in the next few weeks and not get bored with it. It is it is funny. It is brisk. It has great music choices. Like, there's so many little moments that are hilarious. And it also does, you know, it, it does something, I think, special even among time loop movies where it's like, we are going to trust that the audience has seen enough time loop movies or just seen Groundhog Day enough that we're going to also kind of... Um, talk about what that would mean from a lot of different perspectives. So it's, you know, it does this great thing that uh, the original script of Groundhog Day does where it starts you after the loop has been going on for an indeterminate amount of time, but almost certainly years and decades that Andy Sandberg has been stuck in it. And it's, it's, it's focusing on you to recognize that that's going on and then seeing what happens when that person has to introduce the concept to, to someone new. So um, yeah, just a, just a like, Again, 
I don't know if it's the best movie or not, is is 100% my favorite movie of 2020 and one that I will return to many, many times. It's so delightful. It's just it's just a good time. Yeah. Agree. Carrie, drum roll. What is your top movie of 2020? My number one is The Assistant. And I think this is the first time maybe ever since I've been keeping track of favorite movies of a given year that the very first movie that I saw in a year remained my favorite for the entire year. <laughs> um, yeah, this was a January, I, wasn't it? It was. I saw it in theaters this is like in your January. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I I saw it in January 2020 in theaters opening weekend. I saw it at a screening where Kitty Green did a Q and A. Oh. And I think part of why it has stuck with me in the way that it has is because, um, and I will, uh, I'm, I'm going to be giving some spoilers about the ending. So if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want spoilers, uh, tune out for the next couple minutes. Um, but the ending of the movie, uh, in which, um, th- this character who has been wondering the whole time, if she's seeing impropriety, um, she's picking up clues, she's picking up hints, but she doesn't have concrete information. And she's sitting at a deli at the end of the movie and looks up at a window. And she sees something through the window and we see what she sees. And what she sees 100% confirms all of her suspicions. Yeah. And watching watching the movie... And encountering that scene, I had um, I had very mixed feelings about it because the movie was doing such a careful job of not giving you anything explicit. And all of a sudden that changes. Yeah. So at the Q&A, I actually asked Kitty Green about, can you share anything about your thought process behind making the ending what it was? And what she said... I think kind of cemented this as uh, my my favorite movie. First of all, she talked about how uh, she wasn't convinced that it was the right thing to do, um, that she went back and forth for a while about whether or not to make it explicit. But the reason that she did ultimately was because uh, she she came to the conclusion that Allowing this character to just be wondering the whole time without giving her any validation would be the wrong thing to do. And that after everything she's been through, she needs to have the satisfaction of knowing that, no, she's not crazy. She, ne- she, needs, she needs to know that what, what she thinks is real is actually real and have that validated and confirmed, which I thought was really interesting. And she also talked about how uh, a side effect of making the ending what it was that she couldn't have predicted when she was making the film, but it was something that she heard people talk about at screenings, was this weird uh, compulsion because the the way that it shot... Um, you see something, you see, you, you, you see an act happening, but it's a little bit unclear and it, it, it's not, you have to look carefully to be a hundred percent sure of what you're seeing. And she was having people come up to her at screenings and talking about the embarrassment of straining to see 
what was going on. And then the shame of realizing like, oh, I was complicit in this act of violence that is happening. The realization that it is kind of an indictment on the viewer in a way that like, you know, the the extent to which we can be complicit in things like this, where we try to see things that we shouldn't see. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was so interesting. And just the thought process that she had behind a scene, like, it's not very often that you watch a scene that you have weird feelings about, and then you get to directly ask the person, like, hey, why did you make the scene that way? Um, and maybe if I could do that with lots of movies that I have mixed feelings about, uh, I would love all of them. But the fact that she had such a compelling answer to why she ended the movie the way she did made me say, okay, I am sold on all of this, and nothing quite beat it for me for the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a movie that's made by the details. Yeah. It's not something that is going to give you any sort of blowout horrific scene. It is just going to slowly build dread by making the most realistic environment possible. And I've seen some uh, on Letterboxd, I've seen some negative reviews saying, you know, th- this is just too real. Why would I want to watch that? And fair you know i i get that um for me that made it extraordinarily effective and i'm glad that a movie like this exists and i think that the craftsmanship behind it is just you know magnificent but i also understand why you know yeah maybe maybe the thing that happens all the time in real life is not the thing that you want to spend your uh off time entertainment time thinking about that's super fair i get that i want to see high school kids explode I think that the, yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 specific focus of this and the fact that it doesn't have side parts, it doesn't have her having fun with her friends, it doesn't have any of her home life really, yeah. except for I think her mom calling. Um, the, the the movie is razor sharp focused. It's short. Um, I I think that those act as assets to it because it increases a lot of the impact because we do basically make work our second home and particularly people that are asked to work these insane work shifts and basically make their life, their boss's life. Uh, despite the fact yeah. that their boss has equity in the company and gets a percentage on every, every project that they launch and yada, yada. And this person is like a lowly entry level employee. The, they still are expected to put in the same hours uh, and sadly eat their muffin across the street while their, their boss is performing horrifying crimes uh, on the other side of the street. Uh, the the that that i can see why somebody wouldn't want to go through that but i feel like for me even though it wasn't saying on its top level it wasn't saying anything i didn't know it emotionally connected me with stories that i had heard in a way that like unfortunately i don't think reading these horrific uh hollywood reporter variety la la times new york times stories does because unfortunately like the news has to be written in a specific sort of manner and it needs to be a broader story to really catch attention the story can't Mm -hmm. be about one accuser of harvey weinstein it needs to be about four or five and it needs to have more information on what the legal ramifications are going to be and yada yada like whereas this is just like it's just focused on the experience of a woman trapped in trapped in the machinations of an abuser um but somebody who's in the more of the capitalist like exterior circle of that right like uh at at present she's in the exterior circle of that she's not a direct receiver of the sexual abuse but she's a receiver of the um 
the workplace abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I feel like that makes it, that gives it a lot of value because these stories very often, you, you can read them with a sort of distance. Um, and while that distance can give you a little bit of clarity, sometimes it, it, it makes the stories feel less real and like you should be outraged. <laughs> like, yeah. You don't mm-hmm. need to be out like we're, we're I know we're also living in a time of like just outrage fatigue because everything is fucking outraging and we have so much access to so much news to have us on a constant drip feed of, of rage. Um, but this is an example, I think, of like a human story being told in a way that's efficient with your time, ruthlessly efficient with your time. Yeah. Um, and it makes uh, uh, it, the story is bigger than just like, you know, a Hollywood production company. Like it is about workplace abuse. Yeah, it's it's yes. about it's about how capitalism can make issues like you know, uh, equity and gender um, get shuffled under the rug in pursuit of um, more patriarchal gathering of power and accumulation of power. Yeah, yeah, Pe- completely. Peter. So I think the theme that I'm seeing here is that like a lot of the movies this year. <laughs> Uh, the reason they spoke to me, uh, not all of them on my list, but a lot of the reason they spoke to me is they either hit me in a particular sort of mental state because of COVID and quarantine, or, um, they hit me because they were specifically not about that. Like David Byrne's American Utopia is about touching hands and going face to face with people and singing with people. Even if, you know, a little bit of your spittle comes out when you're, you're scream singing road to nowhere with each other. Um, you know, just like Host, just like Palm Springs, just like everything we talked about. I think Possessor is a movie about quarantine. And it's not that the characters are quarantining themselves or they're stuck in some sort of quarantine cycle. It's that it's the story of somebody who's going through immense trauma, uh, immense guilt, um, and yet has to still... It is literally like a, a, a key part of her job requires her to disassociate. and She's well paid to, be, to dis- disassociate her identity. And yet, at the end of the day, she is being paid and pushed and pushed and pushed by her boss to continue to perform this duty. And the job calls for a lot more than just murder. The job calls for ruining people's lives. The job calls for making emotional sacrifices that, you know, most people would cringe at this behavior, but, you know, she's such a pro that she's gotten past that, which I think a lot of people in like sales jobs or customer service can probably relate to where it's like, I have my work self and I I cut, I cut off that part of me that would cringe because I need to get through my fucking work day. Um, and uh, this movie isn't about her necessarily like rebelling against the um, the the ass of the job, but it is about uh, her feeling the PTSD burden of uh, dehumanizing labor. And dehumanizing labor has a weird way of not giving you any like refractory rest time in between. Yeah. So it's just, hey, we just wrapped up this job. Uh, you have to start your new assignment tomorrow and then spending just a modicum of time checking in. Like we've all had a manager where it's like, Hey, how you doing? You do, you doing good. It seems like that was really stressing you out. And then you're like, yeah, it really stressed me out. We really need to slow down our project load. Like this is just too much, too fucking much. Like I, I, like we need to, we need to pump the brakes. Like, otherwise like quality is going to suffer and you're going to have people leaving. And they're like, yeah, 
Um, that's out of the question, but I just wanted to ask if you were okay. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. And like, I have been in that, I've been in that spot for the past two years, you know, like with, with, you know, just because the, the work never stops, but we're all just like living through trauma and possessor is about that. It's, 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 obviously my job is not her job. Um, but, uh, the 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 bigness of as i was discussing in an earlier entry the bigness of you genre do count windows though right i do i do yeah <laughs> and i do say it's not, it's not her thing. job but it is the guy's job that she goes into yeah and i do say it's a thing she has to do parties and such yeah. um that's the thing when you're possessing someone's body you have to do their job which is just it's like double capitalism yeah <laughs> um but yeah, I had a I had a I had a deep emotional reaction to a movie that while I really liked Annie Viral and it was a really cool like calling card movie, um, great performances in it, the aesthetic of it is gorgeous. It didn't really connect with me on a sort of day to day level when I've seen it yeah. the past couple times. When I, I saw it when it came out, and then I saw it a few years ago, it didn't really connect with me on an emotional level. Um, it didn't really connect with me as, as something that was relatable. I was like, yeah, celebrity culture is kind of gross. Anyways, um, this is something that like tapped into exactly how I was feeling when I was feeling it. And like that, bur- that burnout hasn't gotten better. Yeah. The burnout still yeah. is there sitting there like a big fucking lump, lump in my throat that just like won't go away. Um, so yeah, possessor, my number one of the year, even though it's depressing, it's the movie that affected me the most. And it tapped into an aesthetic value that I find like the, the movie looks gorgeous. gorgeous and the fact that it takes um well it's, it, it it takes a lot of lessons from david cronenberg uh brandon's father it uh it veers off in a, in a different direction in a way that like i don't think david cronenberg has ever made guns as terrifying as no. possessor makes guns guns are these like disgusting no. vhs players yes yeah but not guns yeah, in this movie, guns are these this disgusting explosive device that just rends the flesh and, like, in their own way, like, a weapon is is a piece of body horror. Um, and it's something, it's, like, a theme that I've been seeing, like, I've been trying to see more in movies because, like, I'm just kind of done with, the, like, the bloodless action movies where, like, a guy fires his 40-round clip at, at somebody and then they just kind of fall over bloodlessly like I'm, I'm i kind of done with that that doesn't really click with me anymore i kind of need like the i kind of need like this is not an action movie i kind of need like the violence to have impact and I need the violence to horrify me because we now now that everything is reopening we have school shootings again we have mass shootings again like the movie just just it, everything it tries to do just not just like matches like an aesthetic value that i i, I really take highly it it um touched me like in a deep emotional place and when it was over i was like that was incredibly fucked up but like it was kind of like a primal rage it was like scream therapy it felt good when it was over yeah yeah this was one that i caught up on uh knowing that we would be talking about it and uh it it, going off of what you're saying pete this is some of the most horrific violence i can remember seeing in a long long time not so much because of like the gore or anything like that but the context of the violence like the vi- the violence that happens at the very end of the movie yes. which i was not expecting <laughs> no. uh really i i i i i think i am going to have to watch the movie again at some point now knowing that that's where it goes because it was so shocking to me that it kind of took me out of it 
and it was hard to get back in for those final scenes. But uh, in a way, I mean, good that it's that horrifying, right? Like that's showing that the movie is is accomplishing what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, and that uh, that legacy definitely feels like you know. I mean, how many Cronenberg movies did I see where I'm like, oh my god, this like has deeply affected me too to its core and so like oh, i yeah. do think that part is a even though it is peter your Hampson writes very different than the david cronenberg type like that feeling that you get where it's like oh i need to sit on that imagery for a little bit is definitely uh he did learn that well from from david uh yeah this was a blast as always uh 2020 was a fucking weird and terrible year and I, i'm not saying 2021 is better <laughs> um it's more of the same i would say uh but i do think uh it led to um just a weird year for like movies and what we ended up being able to watch what got delayed um uh, but I'm, I'm glad we there was a lot of really great stuff that did get released amid the chaos and uh yeah, this was, as always, a complete blast that we still topped out at four hours raw. So I think we're still doing our part to surprise everyone when they get this on their podcatcher of choice. Um, it's the first week of January. <laughs> like, oh, this is a commitment. Uh, so, yeah, Carrie, thank you, as always, for being on. You'll be on again later this month. Uh, uh-huh. But... I believe you may have something to promote in the meantime. I do. Um, so uh, after after quite some time of being the producer in the context of this show, um, I am about to have my first television producing credit for Realsies. Uh, I have been working as the archival producer for a television show on PBS called Finding Your Roots. And uh, it it is a long running series about uh, celebrities learning about their genealogy and family history, and it is pretty delightful. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure to be able to work on it, and it is the new season that I've been working on, season eight, is premiering on January fourth, which uh, I believe uh, is just a few days from now. Yes, um, could 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 be the day that you're listening <laughs> to this. Uh, <laughs> Please, please watch it. Uh, I have been I have been spending my life on this show for the past several months, and it has been an, an absolutely incredible experience. And I'm so excited that it is about to be out in the world for everyone to see. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah so we're, excited. we're incredibly excited. Yeah. We're so proud. Proud of you, Gary. This is just Thanks. this is just like. Yeah, it's incredible. And it's also like a project fit where, where I'm not like, well, they're going to make some money on that. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, like <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm like, oh, there's a project fit where, I, where, where I'm like, oh, this speaks to something in their in their heart. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm uh, I'm just so excited. And I'll Thank tell you, you so what, much. if they ask me to buy a tote bag in the middle of it, I'll do it. Just to support. <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so excited. Uh, it's great. We're going to be able to have you back on uh, after it comes out too. So we'll be talking to you again. Yes, uh, relatively, relatively soon. Because yeah, this the rest of this month is actually our uh, movies 
that continued a television show. We we've uh, thrown around a couple names on the episodes we have recorded that uh, Peter gives me no reaction on. So that means uh, he's got to think of something better, or I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, and that's it's called when the small gets big. Um, <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Please keep it. Um, uh, uh, and yeah, so we're starting next week with a uh, fun one, which is the 1986 animated transformers movie the uh, the last performance of orson wells literally as we found out nine days before he died uh which couldn't have fit another performance in the middle <laughs> yeah he couldn't do it uh there uh uh but yeah it uh it, it is uh, a movie that obviously uh no one saw really in theaters but it did continue and uh kind of reboot the story of the television show that was airing at the time between seasons two and and three of Transformers. And we're going to do a few more. We have uh, uh, X-Files, Fight the Future, which is a, a movie that bridges the gap between seasons five and six of the X-Files. Uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, or End of Evangelion is the movie, which kind of uh, has an alternate ending, as we as I learned, to Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, another perspective ending, a lot of different ways. That, that episode was a ton of fun. Um, and then we're ending the month with... Carry again to do Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, which famously does not continue the story of season two as everyone expected it to when that show, when Twin Peaks was canceled, but also serves as a bridge in some ways for the return series that came out so many years later. And that, I think, in the same way that Evangelion was a first time watch for me, uh, a lot of this and this movie, I believe, Peter, is a first time watch for you. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say is I, I had never watched um, I had never watched uh, Twin Peaks season two, and so I was like, I can't, I can't watch Firewalk with me. But now you have, so you can. Now I have. Now I will. Now, now, now you have been through the ordeal of Twin Peaks season two. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah. you still can't tell yeah. us who is or is not a doorknob because you. Uh, yeah, did you watch the Did you watch the doorknob scene? I didn't. Um, uh, you know, it's part yeah. of my prep, my deep, deep research that, uh, for our Fire Walk With Me episode. But uh, yeah, I was proud to, I was proud to have spent my entire booster day watching like uh, 12, epi- <laughs> tw- 12 episodes of Twin Peaks in a row. Uh, At, uh, yeah, as as the fever sets in, it's the perfect television show. Uh, where where you are you going, it? James? <laughs> and I feel like you kept saying like, okay, and then I'm going to stop here. And then I would come back to the chat a couple hours later. And then you'd be like, I just finished the series. <laughs> I'm like, what happened? How did you get I, from there to there? I wrote a fan fiction sequel. I've been very busy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we'll talk soon. This is I, already I'm a long deleting, one. I'm deleting t- Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, a, uh, a very <laughs> sick boy in San Diego sent me a script idea, and I, I thought it was just gangbusters, so we're going to use that as the sequel. Um, I've cast... Uh, <laughs> a very, very young, sick little boy. <laughs> drew, me, drew me a lot of pictures of crayons, some owls. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think we're going to go production with this tomorrow in between my weird old weather reports. <laughs> and the, the, the Showtime producers are just like, yeah, yeah David, just, just just don't do that thing you did before. Uh, it's going to be right. 27 episodes. <laughs> I'm writing and directing them all. Kyle McLaughlin will play a, will play a sheep. <laughs> um, with that... Goodbye, 2020. Hello, 2021, for no seconds. And welcome to 2022. Good night. Good night. Good night.
listening to we love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> If you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron